Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Fifth and Long Podcast is back for our third installment uh, of the show. Patrick DeMar, yours truly, here again with Paul Commissioner Kashak. Uh, my man, three weeks in a row. We're, we're hitting our stride right now. We got to keep it up, but um, love the feedback from folks that listen so far. Try to keep it up. Please continue to give us feedback. Uh, we got a lot to go over today. Uh, NFL trade deadline finished up. Uh, this week prior to the podcast being recorded, we've got game five of the world series on right now, finishing up, but we got a lot of NFL stuff, a lot of fantasy stuff. So Paul, let's not waste any more time. My friend, pleasure to see you. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Happy that, uh, happy we're keeping this going third time's a charm. So hopefully this will be our best podcast yet. Uh, fresh off that sports equinox from a couple days ago, I can think of of no better time to be just talking sports right now, right here as we hit November. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I think, um, you know, the, the sports equinox is, is an American holiday that should be celebrated. You've got all the four major sports on one night. It doesn't happen often. It feels great when it does um, with the buzz around the world series right now and the NFL season really in full swing, uh, no pun intended. Uh, plus hockey and, and basketball really starting to wrap up too. It's exciting. Um, I want to start talking about uh, the NFL trade deadline. That's what I want to hit on first for sure. Uh, pretty underwhelming deadline overall. We had a couple of teams make need-based moves. We had a couple other teams really just try to uh, increase some of their draft capital going into next year. Um, I'm going to start with Leonard Williams, uh, former Giants defensive tackle being shipped out to Seattle. I think for Seattle, this is a very timely move considering they're in first place in the NFC West right now. They're definitely going to need to bolster their run defense uh, and for their two games. Uh, they still have left on their schedule against San Francisco. I loved the move. Uh, Williams was certainly effective in his last game in Giants Blue. Paul, how do you feel about it? I'm not quite as high on it as you are. Uh, they do bolster the defensive line. As you said, they recently put Uchenna Nwosu on injured reserve. So they were dealing with some injuries and weren't full strength there. So always good to have depth. You're right. They are in first place. So I do like them going out and doing something. I, I just don't like giving a second and a fifth round pick for somebody who's in, I believe their 10th year in the league only has one and a half sacks so far this year. So I'm not that much in favor of investing that much draft capital in, especially with, uh, considering a second round pick. Uh, I do like the depth of it though, but I, I value draft picks a little bit more than I think the average NFL fan. And we'll see, we'll see how much of an impact the move actually makes for them uh, going forward. I think his age was actually a big part of it. I think Pete Carroll, he rec recognizes how young his defense is overall with the exception of a couple guys. And he wanted to bring in someone on, on, of a line of scrimmage with that veteran leadership that can uh, help some of those younger guys to, to rally around him when push comes to shove and things get difficult. Um, but we'll see. Time will tell. I certainly don't blame you for having reservations is what I would say to that. Uh, next up, we've got Josh. You know, if, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just want, I just want to go back to one, one point on that. The other thing that always comes into play on, on these, these trade uh, deadlines is whether they're going to be able to sign uh, the guy going forward because I believe this is Williams last year in his contract. You know, have you heard if if Seattle is planning on making a push to sign him for the future or if this is truly just a rental type deal? I, I haven't really heard anything on my end. I haven't heard anything either. The The only move I can think of that um, really compares to this recently for Seattle, they traded for Jadavion Clowney 
uh, at the deadline, I think a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken, that did not re-sign him Sounds going right. into that next year. Yeah. So I I think it's probably just a rental. Pete really likes to um, take the draft and take free agency seriously and kind of build from the ground up each offseason when he has to or when he does have holes. So I don't think he'll necessarily be in a rush. They'll probably see where things go for a couple of weeks, see how the feel is, see how it works out and go from there. Uh, if they do extend him, you mentioned his age, it probably won't be um, a really long-term deal, but maybe they lock him down for a couple of years, you know, give him some short-term flexibility. Um, who knows? I, I think it could go either or, but I haven't heard anything. This is me just kind of speculating. Um, Josh Dobbs to the Vikings next fifth round pick went back to Arizona for that. Uh, really just, Minnesota didn't have a choice. They had to trade for a quarterback after Kirk went down. It was sad, too. We're, we're going to talk about that game a little bit later. Kirk looked fantastic before he got hurt. Like, he's having – he was having an awesome season, and uh, that's a tough loss to have. You lose your leader. You lose the guy who makes things tick in your offense. And uh, Dobbs, can't tell you how many times I've heard that this kid is an astrophysicist. Apparently, he's, like, the smartest quarterback to ever exist or something. Um, less hair more room for brain, I guess. Um, he's, he's a, he's a serviceable quarterback. I don't think he will be serviceable for a playoff team. I know Minnesota's four and four right now, but, um, uh, he's, he's obviously going to be better than, um, what's his name? The, the, the hall kid, Jaron Hall, I think was the name of their backup. If I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, Jaron Hall. Uh, so he'll be an upgrade over him for sure. Certainly in terms of experience, uh, he's actually had Arizona looking okay in some games. They played Baltimore pretty close last week for most of the game. Uh, Baltimore ended up eventually winning, but I don't know. I, to me, I don't see it as this is anything more than just filling a hole. That's really it. I'm not looking anything more into it. I don't see Dobbs as like the future of Minnesota or anything. They just needed a quarterback for the last half of the season in a playoff push. And this was the guy that uh, made most sense in terms of what they had to give up for that, I think. Yeah, I think he'll be good enough to keep them somewhat competitive. I mean, they are in a, a playoff position right now, I believe, um, or at least tied for one with New Orleans. Uh, Justin Jefferson should be back in a couple of weeks. We've talked about him. Jordan Addison has made a huge impact the past couple of weeks, so he's going to have good viable options to throw the ball to. Uh, we'll see. It does really hurt with Kirk going down. Uh, this was a, a team that I think was make, starting to make their push for the playoffs. I, I, I had talked about them as – my top team that was on the outside looking in last week. And of course with the podcast jinx uh, tears uh, Kirk cousins, Achilles, but no matter uh, you are right. This is just something to bridge the gap. Um, just something to, to keep them afloat for the time being. I, I heard that it was, I'm reading on NFL.com right now that they just swapped sixth and seventh round picks. Mm. It wasn't, I, I didn't see anything about a fifth round pick. Um, cool. My sources could be <laughs> off on that. Uh, but yeah, well, what I was going to get into on that is they're, they're not giving anything up for him. So they're basically not giving anything up to the Cardinals and they're going to still have something to somewhat play for. Uh, we'll see. Uh, and if Dobbs does well, look, backup quarterbacks are extremely valuable in this league. If you can find one that is capable of winning you a game here or there, when your starter goes down, that's extremely valuable, and that's worth paying someone a couple million dollars to. If Josh Dobbs proves over the second half of this season that he can win 
from time to time with the talent that Minnesota has on the offensive side of the ball, he's probably going to get himself a contract, a longer deal contract as a backup, either with Minnesota or somebody else. So it's valuable for Dobbs to prove, to continue to prove himself. And I think it's valuable for Minnesota to see if they might have a, a potential backup quarterback here going forward. So I'm, I was more in favor of this deal, even though it's not like a huge sexy deal, as you would say. Dobbs might even end up being their starter next year if they don't, bring Kirk back, which is a possibility considering the timetable for uh, that injury, what it normally is. So this really could end up turning into, um, I think you're onto something with it. I personally, I just like, we'll talk more about the bad quarterbacks this weekend in a little bit. We're going to get there. Dobbs was actually like decent compared to some of the other guys we had to watch under center on, on Sunday and so on. But Man, I, I just don't know how to feel about it right now. Quarterbacks are so weird in the league currently. Um, the next two guys, I, I kind of want to go over together, and they're very flip side circumstances. There's a lot of different pieces to these moves. Montez Sweat got traded from the Commanders to the Bears, and Chase Young got traded from the Commanders to the 49ers. First of all, um, the Commanders played Philly really close in that game and are 4-4. Four and four. They're 500. Uh, Sam Howell looks incredible. Their defense has some holes. Yeah. But like, are you punting on a playoff season? Do you have two guys that you can just put in those places instead to take over those reps and still help you win games? I, I understand these guys are in last year's your contract. You're trying to get something out of it. If you don't believe in your team, then uh, it's smart to make a move, but the timing of it was just weird, man. I feel like they played one of the best teams in the league about as tough as they could. And they really almost won that game. Um, they had opportunities to, at the very least, um, uh, young, I think is going to fit great in San Fran. He's had kind of an injury riddled early career. And I think pairing him back up with Bosa, the, the old Buckeyes, uh, edge rushers together could be pretty fun to watch. Um, Montez sweat to Chicago. That was a weird deal for me because I mean, it's not like Chicago's really going to be doing anything this year. I just didn't understand why he ended up landing in that particular spot. Um, but I, all in all, I understand why the moves were made. Um, Washington just continues to leave me scratching my head by decisions they make, whether it's Ron Rivera, new ownership, whoever. Um, I don't know. I, I might have held on to Young. I might have tried to extend him. Uh, maybe the Bears just offered the best return deal. I mean, the Bears definitely did give up a good bit for Sweat, probably more than other teams would have uh, from what I saw. But still, I, do you have anything else to add as far as those two moves go? Well, I'm going to disagree with you again here. I, I like what Washington did. Uh, they're three and five. So to say that they're just out of it completely and from a mathematical perspective, yeah, that wouldn't be correct. But let's be real. They're not going anywhere this year. Right. And they're going to recoup some draft capital. Sam Howell's been solid this year, but I don't think anybody in the Washington front office is saying they for sure have their quarterback. Get a little bit of extra draft capital see where you end up at the end of the season and see what you can do to maybe make a push for one of these talented young quarterbacks coming out in next year's class. I like the move for Washington here. I, I agree with you that, that Chase Young, he's dealt with some injuries since he has been drafted. And I don't know if he's quite lived up to someone being drafted second overall, but I, I think that he's gotten a little bit more hate than, than he should in in the media and uh, among reporters. I think he is a talented pass rusher and we'll see what he can do. Certainly it's going to be solid opposite Nick Bosa, where the primary attention is going to be deflected. So that's going to help him. 
tremendously there. You brought up the point of, hey, this team looked really good against Philadelphia the, just this past weekend, right? Well, I would counter that with, look at how bad they looked two weekends ago against the Giants, who look arguably as bad as anybody right now. And they found a way to lose that game. A point I, I wanted to talk about when it comes to the NFL trade deadline, and I think that this is a good good segue, is I just think it's too damn early in the season. You take a look, take a look at the MLB trade deadline, right? So they have that at the end of July, roughly. And that's roughly two thirds of the way through their season. Right. We're here just finishing off week eight. And now it's We're a not even halfway done. season. So that's not even that. It's not even a halfway point. So there's going to be a lot of the teams that are going to say, well, like I'm mathematically in it. Like um, we might get to the Titans in a little bit as well. Like they're a team that they got a surprise win this week. And now they're just a game back of the playoffs. A lot can happen still. And so there's going to be a lot of teams that still think that they're in it. I, I just think, I think the deadline should be pushed back a little bit. And because that the middle of the standings are kind of muddy, I think about the AFC and NFC right now, I think that's why we didn't see as much action because there are just a lot of teams that don't know where they're going to fall as, as the, as the chips fall throughout the season. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, um, the NBA trade deadline always has crazy action. The, the baseball trade deadline typically does as well. They actually pushed it back, uh, I think two years ago to try to incentivize some more action. So maybe you see something similar happen with the NFL, certainly with the season, uh, adding an extra week to it. I, you know, why not consider it? But um, who knows? I, I, I wouldn't mind that. I think it's a great point. Great idea as well. And it would probably help to give teams more of an idea of what it is they're working with, what it is they're trying to accomplish at the deadline when they have more of a sample size to show their team. Um, do you have any deals that you really wish you saw happen. I, the only one that I could really think of, um, like off the top of my head, if I had to choose somebody getting traded, um, I was, I mean, if I have to think about it, I would say ultimately, no, man, I like, I would have loved for Mac Jones to end up getting traded out. I would have loved for the past to sold off some more players Josh Uche, we held on to. I, I didn't really understand why because we probably won't re, uh, extend him. Um, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors, it seemed, around a lot of players at the deadline. Derek Henry, uh, Hopkins, I guess they were going to keep after Le uh, Levis had his big game. But uh, what about for you? Was there something you were really hoping to see or someone you were really hoping to end up um, in a different city? Well, there were there were a lot of rumors swirling around Pittsburgh that they were going to make a push for a cornerback. Uh, outside of Joey Porter Jr., we've we've really struggled uh, with our perimeter corners. So two guys were were named. Pat Sertam was kind of the uh, uh, the wishful thinking type guy, and Denver ended up not really doing anything after their their victory over Kansas City. It would have been cool to see Pat Sertam come to Pittsburgh, him and Joey Porter opposite of each other but we just we have so much money invested in our defense and we would have to pay him a good amount going forward that i just don't know if the uh, the math would work out with all the cap space but i also heard another rumor that we were pretty close to landing uh, jalen johnson cornerback for for chicago i don't know exactly what what we would have had to have given up i, I think somewhere probably around a second round pick for him um that would have been cool to see somebody else opposite Joey Porter Jr. Maybe move Patrick Peterson more to the slot corner uh, where he'd be a little bit better suited uh, in his uh, older years now. But 
just saying that as a Steeler fan, man, as an NFL fan, uh, I, you know, I can't say that there's anything. Oh, and I wish it would have happened. Just thinking purely as a, as a Steeler fan there. Maybe that's part of the, the lack of trade deadline moves as well. I think a lot of people generally try to just build their team in the off seasons. They know what to expect. They don't have to make moves at the deadline. Um, I've heard some experts kind of bring that up, like pundits, like writers you hear from, from the league, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. There's nobody in the league specifically I could really think of that um, needed to get moved. But Johnson, I agree, it was sort of interesting the way that trade rumors sort of circled like last second. It sort of seemed like that morning he requested a trade. It was like he panicked. He realized, why am I still in Chicago? Somebody get me out. Help. And there was nobody there. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. The, the Bears ended up bringing in Montez Sweat, didn't sell anybody, even though they're not really going to do anything this year. So it's just totally backwards from what I'm used to with baseball yeah, and other I, sports. I, I don't get what Chicago does at the deadline. If I, it, to be quite blunt, when they traded us, uh, traded Pittsburgh a second round pick for Chase Claypool last year, mm-hmm. who's no, no longer even on Chicago. And now they're going out and like you said like we talked about with Montez Sweat now they're going to go by at the deadline as a what two and six team right and that doesn't make any sense to me come on totally agree totally agree all right uh we're going to take a short break that was the NFL trade deadline when we come back we're going to go over uh scores uh storylines from week eight we're going to preview some things coming ahead for week nine as well Uh, back from break, can you think of a Halloween weekend that fit the NFL more than this one? I felt like this was like a mini uh, House of Horrors or something in an NFL weekend. All the quarterbacks that we had to see play, guys getting hurt. There was multiple bad weather games with with snow, with rain. We had Mahomes pick up that like phantom flew at the 11th hour it seemed like out of nowhere that's a story sunday morning i wish i had heard about that earlier in the week uh, or at least the day before you know it might have made me change around some things in some other fantasy leagues um let me give you a list real quick of, of quarterbacks we had play today all right and this isn't including everybody this is just like some of them uh we had brett ripian malik willis jaron hall desmond ritter Taylor Heineke, Jordan Love, Gardner Minshew, Tyrod Taylor, Tommy DeVito, Mitch Trubisky made an appearance. PJ Walker was out there. Uh, Tyler Baggett, T-Bag, my name for him. And Dorian Thompson Robinson even got some snaps. That's not to mention terrible games from Mahomes. Uh, Stafford got hurt. Uh, Pickett got hurt and had to leave the game. Mac Jones again had another pick that could have been a pick six. Uh, Zach Wilson continues to be god awful and just really difficult to watch um i'm just taking it back this is supposed to be the generation of the quarterback the generation of offense and and efficiency and passing the ball and i i just don't believe it after this week you can't tell me we don't have 45 good quarterbacks in the united states of america in 2023 maybe i'm crazy or, or maybe defenses are just this great but this was a really weird weekend yeah, I mean, definitely was. I mean, there were some 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 ugly and, and and frightful games, if you will. To answer your question, no, there there are not forty five 
quote unquote good quarterbacks in the NFL. It's tough to play quarterback in this league, man. And and defenses are are very good. They're faster than ever. You got everybody's got film on you. Um, so so no, I mean I don't know if we even have 30, 32 quote unquote good quarterbacks. Uh, shout out to my boy Tommy DeVito uh, for having negative passing yards right now in his NFL career. That was brutal to watch. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more to it as we as we go into the breakdown by breakdown. But but yeah, a lot of injuries. That flu was mysterious. There's something going around. I know Amon Ross St. Brown had some sort of flu or something, some some kind of cold he was dealing with on on Monday night. I needed him in one league. He ended up coming through for me, but it was a little bit nervous when I, I heard that news just a couple hours before game time. But yeah, it's the nature of the beast. A couple bad weather games, like you said. But well, we didn't. It wasn't just that. We also had a head coach not not be seen again after midnight. Josh McDaniels gets murdered in his sleep uh, by Mark Davis and, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, this was coming for McDaniels. I remember actually after that game Monday night when I finished typing up my notes, I to you, uh, I put in my notes that uh, McDaniels was absolutely on the hot seat. And I was thinking about it. And, you know, will they make a move right away? What are they going to do at the trade deadline? Their trade deadline move was punting Josh McDaniels, kicking him to the curb. Um, he's had multiple opportunities now as, as a head coach. He was almost a head coach at Indianapolis for like six hours, but then he wasn't. Um, I don't know what his next move is as an HC or if he'll have one. I'm sure some team eventually will get tricked into taking a flyer on him again to lead their team. Maybe he'll end up back in New England where he can uh, help the Pats to to – maybe get to 500 again, but I don't even know if I'd want him back there. I, I mean, this was rough and, and Jimmy Garoppolo looked terrible. Um, he missed Devonte Adams, like probably three different times uh, by almost 10 yards. He had a lot of opportunities tonight to do some things. And it looked like he was never comfortable throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I, you, I'm sure that you saw Garoppolo's throw at the end of end of the game, and the game was pretty much out of hand. It was in the final minutes, but you can't see a defender in the shot near near Devonte Adams on a go route on the left side of the field, and Jimmy overthrows him by like 15 yards. Uh, wasn't even that much under pressure, if I remember remember either. It's just an unbelievable miss. You got to feel for Devonte Adams right now. You can see how frustrated he is. But getting back to the Josh McDaniels comment, um, yeah, he is now the first head coach in NFL history to be relieved of his duty by two separate teams without making it through the second year with either of those teams, those teams being the Broncos and and now the Raiders. So yeah. that's pretty bad. I think he's I think he's proven that he he can't succeed as a head coach, I, I think that his head coaching days in the NFL are, are done are effectively over. He, he will get a job as an offensive coordinator. He, I think he's proven that he can do that somewhat effectively and someone out there is going to hire him. If Matt Canada still has a job in Pittsburgh, I, Josh McDaniels can get a job as an offensive coordinator somewhere. Man. Yeah. And you know, I give Vegas credit. Crosby came out there with a fire again and, and played his tail off. Their defense has some special moments to it. Josh Jacobs kind of got back into the action. He actually led Vegas in uh, rushing and receiving yards, which is something he did in totality last season. Uh, Lions, on the other hand, though, they, they kind of like 
it almost felt like they slept walk through this game in the sense like they didn't really have to do anything to win. Vegas just handed it to them every step of the way. And Goff didn't have a great game. He had to pick six there, but it didn't really cost them. Uh, Gibbs looked spectacular. I've loved watching him since he's been back. And of course, St. Brown, again, anytime, I mean, he doesn't even need to be fully healthy. You mentioned he was coming off of an illness. He was, he was also spectacular. Those guys are like magnets for the football. Um, so I, I don't know what happens with Detroit next. They're, they're the, uh, they're the favorites in the NFC North and with Kirk going down, you'd think that probably, um, holds true to the end of the year. Uh, there's some talk on the Vegas side of things that Jimmy G might actually get benched that maybe they'll go with Jared Stidham this week and going forward instead. That was confirmed. Jimmy G is benched. They're going with Aiden O'Connell. Aiden O'Connell. That happened a couple hours ago. Yeah. Rookie out of Purdue. So there's, they're skipping Stidham altogether as well. And just going with O'Connell. Wow. All right. Interesting. Um, cool. So thank you for being on that. I did not see that. Um, what, what do you think about uh, how the Lions looked in this game? Are you mostly in agreement with me or did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I, I am in agreement with you. I, I wanted to elaborate on it. This was a game that good teams, good teams, really good teams, excuse me, elite teams have games like this. And what I mean by that is, it is a game where they absolutely did not play their best football. Their red zone offense needs work. I, I I will say if there's if there's a weakness on that team, it's the red zone offense. And you know you, you mentioned Goff's turnover. They did not play their A plus ball. I mean they they played like their C minus C minus ball, and they still find a way to just kind of like you said, kind of cruise walk through this one and win by twelve points like it was nothing. That's what good teams do. They find a way to still win somewhat comfortably when they don't play their best ball. Now, that level of play isn't going to beat the top dogs. It's not going to beat a fully healthy San Francisco team. It's not going to beat a fully healthy Philadelphia team, maybe Jacksonville. We've seen it beat Kansas City, but if they play like they did on Monday night, they won't beat Kansas City. But good teams, when they play like that, they beat the crappy team, like Las Vegas. So I kind of classified this as an impressive, unimpressive win for Detroit. I also love you talking up Shamir Gibbs. I I, I mentioned him either last podcast or two podcasts ago that that running game is going to hit a new level when he takes off. David Montgomery is a talented running back. He's been solid for them the first half of the year. They got to stick with Gibbs as the lead back going forward, even when Montgomery gets back from injury. He was electric, electric, man. That guy is so fast. I think he's going to unlock a new gear for their for their offense. And and then, yeah, I mean, I don't need to talk up Amon Ross St. Brown anymore. So I think they got right back on track after that bad game against Baltimore. And you're right. I mean, their top competition, Minnesota now with Kirk out, I mean, they can, uh, they have a cakewalk for a division title and that's going to get them a home playoff game to start. So that's huge. You would certainly think so. Uh, time will tell uh, lions. One last note on them uh, 14 and four and their last 18 games. So that's that's a whole season's worth. Um, they're not fooling anybody at this point. People should know what to expect from them. Um, yeah, great team. Love to see what they're doing. I hope they can continue. Uh, next up, we got Bills and Bucks, the Thursday night game from this past week. Did you catch this one? Did you see this yeah, one? Yeah, I did. Yeah? Yeah, I did. This was like – so the talking point on Allen all year has been the mistakes that he made and how – you know, how ta- it doesn't matter how talented he is, he's still going to be in these situations where he gives the game away. And I thought tonight you kind of saw for the first time the Bills getting scared of that after they were up, you know, uh, what was the score uh, at one point? They were they were up pretty well going into – well, it was close for most of the game. 
Yeah, right. it was two possessions late. And then uh so it would have been I think Tampa Bay went for two and got it after they scored a touchdown with a couple minutes left. So I think it was like it was around 24-10 in that in that nature. Yes. Before before Tampa Bay scored. Yeah. So it was three-nothing early in the game. The first 20 minutes, that was the score, and, and Buffalo was only up three zip. It was kind of slow moving. And then uh Allen had a couple plays where he runs into the end zone, makes a few big throws, typical Josh Allen stuff. Um and, and then you're right. Tampa started getting back into it in the second half. Their defense uh, shut out Buffalo completely the last 25 minutes of the game. Um, Baker actually looked pretty good. Um, yes. If you look at his stats, it'll say he had a lot of inc- incompletions in that game, but most of them were actually throwaways. Um, and he, despite how slow things were going for Tampa Bay, they really didn't have much of a run game. Uh, Rashad white, kind of got involved for them and made some plays out of the backfield is like what would be a good third down running back, but they really miss Leonard Fournette or at least having someone like him that can really handle majority of that workload. Um, ultimately this game count came down to um, this game came down to the end where Tampa gets the ball back with some time to possibly drive down the field, maybe score, tie things up. Uh, or win the game if they get the touchdown and the extra point. And they had this Hail Mary play where Baker, I didn't even think he was going to be able to throw it as far as he did. I wasn't sure if he was going to make it to the end zone. And Chris Godwin was right there. He turns around and looks, watches as the ball falls to his feet. If he turns around a half second earlier, this is the Tampa Bay miracle in Buffalo. And, and people are hyping up the Bucks again and, and whatnot. Um, I still don't trust Buff- Buffalo yet. I feel like this game was... Too close. I didn't like that they gave Tampa Bay a shot. Um, uh, do you feel like you can trust them yet? Because I definitely don't. I can't trust them to go any further, do anything more than they have the past couple years. I think we kind of know what Buffalo is at this point, right? Yeah. They're a, a good team. They kind of beat up on the bad teams. They can have incredible highs when Josh Allen is on his game. They can have incredible lows when he's turning the ball over. Are they going to be a playoff team this year? I'd say probably 95% chance. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to win the division because Miami looks good. Can Josh Allen and the Bills beat Mahomes? Can they beat Burrow? I don't think so. They haven't in the past. I don't know if they can beat Trevor Lawrence and the Jags right now. And let's also keep in mind that arguably their best defensive player, Matt Milano, is out for the year with a knee injury that he picked up a couple weeks ago. So their defense isn't at full strength either right now. I don't trust the Bills to do anything more than they have the past couple of years. They're in a tough spot. I mean, Josh Allen has has proven that he's a really good quarterback. He, you can classify him as elite, but I don't. I can't put him in that tier with Burrow and Mahomes, especially the way that Burrow looked uh, over the weekend against the 49ers. And I'll, maybe it's a hot take, but I'll, I'll go on the record right now, the podcast. I think Josh Allen at the end of his career is going to be regarded as maybe arguably the best quarterback to have never played in a Super Bowl. There I said it. You know, I, I had the thought during that game and especially after I was going over tape of it, he's like, he's like Brett Favre 20 years later, the way he makes decisions. He's a gunslinger. And yeah. I think I could see it working out for him in like a perfect season where you, he has the right parts around him. Things just come to be and, and, you know, he is able to use that like super hit human ability, but ultimately it feels like a lot of his touchdowns or interceptions just kind of come down to 
like luck of the draw. It's really weird. Um, but I, I think Brett Favre and Josh Allen now are like molding into one of the same. Hopefully Josh Allen though, uh, makes some less controversial decisions in terms of how he utilizes his cell phones or, uh, gets money from various universities. Anyways, um, Dolphins, Pats, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Um, another loss for the Patriots, Miami, a really a win they should have had. Uh, the Pats did have a window to win this game. They've got some great players on defense. Kyle Duggar, Christian Barmore have been stupendous. Barmore especially has had some moments the last couple of weeks where he looks like Indomitian Sue at, at the peak of his powers. I know I'm a Pats fan and you think I'm biased for saying that, but legitimately he's been blowing up offensive lines the last couple of weeks. Um, Mac, again, I mentioned earlier, he, he threw a pick. One of his two longest pass attempts of the day picked uh, nearly pick sixth, if not for uh, a great come from behind tackle made by uh, one of his teammates. Uh, defender, the defense gave up two touchdowns for New England that looked pretty bad. Just guys getting beat. You know, players are wide open. Happens with Miami all the time. Uh, Kendrick Bourne got hurt in this game. He's now out for the year. So now uh, the Patriots receiving core is down to Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, and a bunch of rookies. Uh, or second-year players. So I, I things are not looking good for the Pats. We've got three winnable games ahead going forward. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we play the Commanders this coming week, and then we have the Colts the week after. And then I want to say after that, we've got, uh, we've got the Giants. So we've got three games in a row that we could win. I don't know if I necessarily want us to, but I think Bill Belichick is – um, really coaching for for his own pride and for the pride of his team at this point. So I don't really think New England's going to hang it up or, or tank completely this year. Um, maybe Mac Jones is, is bad enough for it to happen regardless. Uh, time will tell. Um, you didn't catch this game, did you? you? You don't have anything to add? No, I don't really have anything to add. I, surprisingly enough, I, I usually uh, tune into Dolphins games, a lot of fantasy interest in that one. I did, I did not really – I don't think I watched a single snap in this game. I know New England kind of made it close at the end, was falling mm-hmm. on the box score. Did you – my only question to you, for someone who, who watched this game more in depth, did uh, did you get the sense that Miami was kind of sleepwalking through this game a little bit at times, or was it was it their best game out there? I know they still put up 31 points, but was there any sort of the same feeling that you had with Detroit for, for Miami this past week? A little bit. Like I, I said, the Pats had a window to win this game. If not for that pick from Mac – they probably score on that drive and things look different going down the stretch. Miami's defense is pretty weak Uh, for a past team who really struggles on offense. I felt like we were able to move the ball kind of okay against them. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster got into the end zone for the first time. That was pretty cool to see. Um, But in reality, Miami had this game the whole way. It was only a matter of time before something happened uh, where the Pats were going to make a mistake and and the Dolphins were going to pull away. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't expect to win this game at all going into it. But then again, I didn't expect us to to beat the Bills last week either. So I had a small sliver of hope that maybe we can make something happen. I think New England definitely has a recipe for how they need to win games. Um, but it's going to be really hard-pressed to accomplish that sort of game plan against a team like Miami. Um, for our next game, uh, we're bouncing over to Saints-Colts, which was actually one of my favorite games I watched from the whole weekend's. Uh, I caught this in the one o'clock window. I watched it. Uh, I had red zone on, but I was actually watching the game too, because I acquired Alvin Kamara in our fantasy league. And, and I was really trying to make sure I got eyes on him. Uh, this ended up turning into the Taysom Hill show. Kamara had a great game as well. Um, the Colts uh, have now lost back-to-back games. 
really just under poor circumstances. They had that Browns loss with, uh, you know, some officiating controversy last week. Their defense is terrible, like just got awful. I mean, I, I feel like anybody could move the ball against them, even maybe some college teams. Uh, Minshew is a step down from Richardson for sure. I really wish I could have seen Richardson healthy for a whole year with this Colts offense. I think they could be could have been a legitimately fun team uh, if they had him out there. But Minshew's okay. I, he's better than pretty much all the backups in the league, most of them, and even some starters at this point. Um, he keeps them in games, but ultimately they're not going to do anything with him, uh, in charge. Um, like how would you feel great if Gardner Minshew was, was your, uh, was your starting quarterback in a playoff game, Paul? Probably not. Right. No, no, I wouldn't no. Feel great if he was my starting quarterback, but I talked about the value of backup quarterbacks when I was talking about the Josh Dobbs trade earlier, I'd love to have Gardner Minshew as my backup because, right. You know, all you really need out of your backup is somebody, obviously he's thrust into the full-time starting role now with Richardson out for the year. But ideally when you go into the year, all you are hoping for out of your backup is the ability to come in on a spot start, maybe a couple times a year and still give your team a chance to win. I think Mitchu absolutely does that. You talked about how their offense looks really good. I mean, they've had two really exciting games against two good defenses the past two weeks, might I say. They put up Hmm. 38 I believe it was against Cleveland two weeks ago, 27 this past week. I like the talent on offense they got. I love their uh, young rookie receiver out of North Carolina, Josh Downs. He's getting a lot of comparisons to to T.Y. Hilton, a little bit of a smaller guy in stature, but very speedy. Nice compliment there to Michael Pittman. And they got Jonathan Taylor now back, obviously, and and Zach Moss is still uh, working in his touches. So the pieces are there on offense hurts that Richardson, they're not able to see him a little bit more and get him more developed as the year goes on. But you are right. I'm surprised that their defense is is struggling as much as it is because they got some playmakers there. Um, Darius Leonard, uh, a guy that, or Shaquille Leonard. Now I believe he changed his name uh, recently. Kenny Moore is a defensive back. I, I like out uh, there, but, but man, I, I think, you know, where their, where their draft capital has to be invested in this upcoming year. Absolutely. I, the biggest takeaway from this game was uh, just how fun the Saints are to watch. They remind me of like a really awesome high school team. And I made the comps to them of the Friday Night Lights team because Kamara is like this ultra talented running back who could never stay healthy. Derek Carr is like the prom king quarterback who's perfect personality wise and like will never upset anybody or do anything wrong. Everybody at the school loves him. And then Taysom Hill is like the kind of scary kind of cool jock who's like slugging butt heavies out in the parking lot before and after games and has a crush on the quarterback's girlfriend. Uh, Hill got all involved in this game a lot more so than the saints have used him uh, up to this point this year. And I liked that they kind of had, I, I had a voice to you, my reservations about having Carr out there. And I think their response to that was, well, Let's take the ball out of his hands a few more times. We'll put it in the hands of Hill, who could just run and get us five, six yards, whatever. And then when we really want to sling it, we'll just throw Derek out there and he'll do just that. Um, They're frisky. They're tough. I kind of would hate to play them regardless of what my seed was uh, come January. Um, So if they can find a way to sneak into the playoffs, but they might in a really weak division, you know, they could end up coming out as division winners there. Um, who knows for new Orleans? I I still don't see them as legit contenders. I don't think they'll ultimately win anything, but could they maybe get a wild card win or maybe even, you know, show up in the divisional round and and play pretty tough? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) 
Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Are you? Are, are, yeah. So are, are you a bigger Friday Night Lights TV show fan or do you like the movie better? I like the Tell movie. Tell me that you've seen both. I've seen both. I like the movie better. Uh, <laughs> I've I've gone through probably four seasons of the show and the first two were, were pretty good. Okay. I lost interest after a while. It was just something I would have on. But um, I was for comparisons i was going more to the tv show i was thinking of Derek carr as like matt sarenson and taste hill is tim riggins then yeah is that, is that <laughs> taste hill is riggins dude it's crazy tim, tim riggins was on that show i i thought he must have been like 20 years He's old and still in high school they kept bringing him back he looked like year. he was, he was I, I mean i love the character but they just kept bringing him back. I don't know is how many it, how many years he failed in high school. His off season from the show is like uh, filming um, Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> and he comes back really? from looking like a Navy SEAL has to look like a high school kid again. <laughs> like I didn't know that. That's hilarious. I don't. I don't think that's actually true. That's just one of the only movies. Uh, one of the other movies I know him from. Um, oh, let, I got you. Let, let's keep moving on. Uh, I want to get into Titans Falcons next because we're we're sticking with the NFC South. The NFC South right now is doing their NFC South shuffle, where like every week we pick a different team we like. Uh, the Falcons, I was surprised they got torn up as bad as they did by uh, Will Levis and DeAndre Hopkins. Um, for Levis, his deep ball looked phenomenal. Like. Really good. I would take his deep ball over Mac Jones's any day. I, I I I don't know what's gonna happen with him the rest of the year. I don't know if he's gonna be the, the guy. Bar to set there. I know, yeah, but still, like it's <laughs> evident. That's typically the part of a quarterback's game that is the hardest to develop, the hardest to project. Certainly for someone that young. So to see him just go out there and like light it up against the Falcons defense, who we were really hyping up last week. I don't know if this was necessarily. It sure fits into the jinx for us, but I just legitimately think Levis looked good. Um, he's got a weird game coming up against Pittsburgh this week. I, I don't, you might be feeling a little bit nervous for it. Um, we're going to talk about the Steelers in a little bit here after that. Maybe we can talk more about that later. But Hopkins, the ghost of DeAndre Hopkins, returning on Halloween weekend to terrorize the Falcons secondary. This was, this is a pretty cool one. I, I enjoyed watching the game for sure. Yeah, I didn't catch much of it, but uh, I, I did catch the end of it. And then I know, you know, I was following what was happening throughout the throughout the course of things. You are right. First thing that I got to hit on, we've been talking about this week in and week out. There will be a different team in the NFC South that looks like the best team week in and week out. The Panthers excluded, although they did get a win this this past week. So credit to them. The Saints look like the best team in the NFC South now. It was the Falcons last week. I hyped up their defense so much. They were third in opponent yards per game. They were ninth in scoring coming in. And Will Levis, Will Levis looked like he's been in the league for years, man. I Hats off to him. A lot of credit. He knew where to get the ball. DeAndre Hopkins, he hit him on the deep ball. You're right. Uh, maybe one or two busted coverages in there because I know on, on one of those deep ball touchdowns that uh, Hopkins was way clear of the secondary. But we can't take anything away from Levis and, and man, I feel good for him too. I, I'm happy that he had the success because, you know, I, I know he went to Kentucky. So I know that, you know, arrival of South Carolina, but, but that was a tough look on draft day this past spring when he, there were rumors that maybe he'd be a top five pick and you know, he falls, he's in the green room and they keep going to him and he keeps falling and falling. He falls all the way out of the first round. A lot of credit to him. I hope he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. It, it certainly looks like he, like he did, against Atlanta. Um, 
I'm a little bit worried as a Steeler fan coming up, especially considering that uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is going to miss this game. He has an injury. So our secondary is a little bit depleted outside of Joey Porter Jr. We've struggled uh, in cornerback play as well. So we'll see. Hopefully Porter can match up with Hopkins and lock him down somewhat. But uh, yeah, a lot of credit to Will Levis. We'll see what the rest of his career entails and the rest of the season for that matter. But I was very happy to see him do what he did. One last note on the Titans. Uh, the starting quarterbacks they've had since uh, 2005, Steve McNair's last season, is a really entertaining list to go and watch. There's a lot of can names I get, on here. Can I guess some of them? Yeah, can go I, for it. I like to guess at, I will, at some of them. If oh. you can guess, um, well, the, the first couple are, are obvious. Give me the first two or three, and, and then I'll see how many more you can get after that. Okay, well, the two obvious ones, so obviously Tannehill and Mariota, I, I, would, I would assume are the two obvious ones you're alluding to. Uh, there's one other guy. Yes. I was surprised you didn't mention as well, but yes. Okay. I'll touch on him in a second. I believe that two of the more obscure ones that should be on there, Jake Locker, Zach Mettenberger. Are the Correct. Both of them on there? Jake Locker had 11 games for the Titans in 2012 and then another seven to start the year in 2013. Mettenberger all time has 10 starts for the Titans between 2014 and 2015. Gotcha. Obviously, Will Levis started this past week. Malik Willis has a couple starts under his belt. Um, you mentioned since McNair, right? Uh, yep. So they were actually a, a pretty damn good team in like the late first decade of the 2000s, uh, early 2010s with uh, Kerry Collins had them as the number one overall seed, I believe. Yes, but that was not the guy I was thinking you were going to mention. Do you remember who who, who he took I'm, over I for that an year? obvious one. Uh well, I don't know if he took over for him this year, but Vince Young is another guy on yeah. there. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, so so that season, I don't remember what the story was with Vince Young that year, but he didn't play. He played the first two years before that, 2006, 2007, but Kerry Collins was the starter in 08. The Titans had an awesome year. Um, some other names on that list. Uh, Matt Hasselbeck got 20-plus games okay. for, for the Titans. Uh, Matt Castle got a couple on there. Uh, there you go. Yeah, Uh Patriots legend. Uh, Blaine Gabbert was another one. Charlie Whitehurst, oh. if you had named that uh, that player, I would have given you maybe $5. Nah, I couldn't, couldn't have gotten all of these. Nope. <laughs> and then there was also Chris Sims. Chris Sims for one game uh, back in 2008. So the Titans, if they, can, if they can get a guy that can actually look like a legit quarterback and stick around for a few years, uh, that would be great for fans in Nashville. Uh, we're going to move on to your team next, their game against the Steelers. This was one of my bigger games of the week. I think um, much to your chagrin, I'm going to give the Jaguars a ton of credit here, man. We talked about the Lions earlier, how they are 14 and four in their last 18 games. Well, the Jags are 13 and five in their last 18 games. So they also as well have a great sample size of games dating back to last year where they played their tail off. Uh, Doug Peterson has them really playing well right now. He's a guy who's been there, done that. You certainly can't underestimate him with underdog teams like this. Uh, we've learned our lesson uh, about that in the past. Trevor Lawrence with just like an all-time tough guy football game. He did have that one pick in the red zone where it kind of looked like he was trying to throw it away and he threw it off his back foot. He couldn't get enough on it and it ended up not reaching out of bounds. It got picked off instead, but throwing through the rain didn't look like it affected him at all when it definitely looked like it affected the other quarterbacks in this game. He got hit on one play on, on a third down conversion to Christian Kirk, where his body was like three and a half feet in the air, totally parallel with the ground. And he still made the pass. Um, 
ETN is incredible. I, you know, I, they don't have a tough division. They're probably going to end up being a top three or four seed in the AFC, maybe even a top, you know, it could be a top three seed for Jacksonville. And if that's the case, I kind of like him, man. I, I don't know. There's a roadmap where they can have a really good year, set themselves up well in the playoffs. And then it's, you know, just up to whether or not Lawrence can execute and, you know, they can keep feeding ETN and, and uh, the defense steps up. Um, that's asking a lot. It's, it's hard to project that far in the future, but I wouldn't sleep on him, man. I would love to see uh, Jaguars, Ravens, um, Jaguars have a, have a, uh, I would love to see Jaguars, Ravens or Jaguars, Lions at the tail end of the year. Those I think would both be entertaining matchups for, for smaller fan bases that, well, not for the Ravens, but, um, certainly for the Lions that, um, could be interesting come, come Super Bowl time. Who knows? Uh, for your Steelers on the other hand, though, um, the only note I will have, and then I'm going to let you take the reins is that I, the drop off between Pickett and, Trubisky was so massive. As soon as that injury happened, you guys were done. You didn't have a chance because Trubisky was probably one of the worst quarterbacks I watched all weekend. He was bailed out so many times by Johnson and Pickens. Those two guys are incredible. I mean, Pickens, the, the touchdown that he had, he literally like hurdled and jumped through two guys at the same time trying to tackle him. That was the only reason why he scored on that play. It wasn't like Trubisky had some incredible throw. And then afterward, Trubisky's running down the field with his arms out, staring at the sidelines like he just made some incredible play. I, I hate Mr. Trubisky. I'm not a Steelers fan, but if you guys have to watch him for four or five more quarters this year, I'll feel pretty bad for you. Yeah, I, the, the drop-off was clearly apparent. Uh, and Pickens did make a really nice play on that on that touchdown. It was just quick little uh, seven eight yard slant, and then he took it the rest of the way, as you mentioned, getting by two defenders. They didn't throw the ball to him enough, man. He had it was I think he only had like one target late into the second half, and, and maybe it finished with only two or three at the end of it. One of those being that touchdown. Uh, so they need to get him the ball more, plain and simple. He he absolutely needs to get the ball. Um, offensive woes though were on both sides, not just with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, no first downs in the first quarter, four three and outs to open things up. And things could have been a little bit different. Uh, there was a, a ball up the seam that Pickett tried to throw to Deontay Johnson on the very first play of the game where he might have like overthrown it a slightly, but it hit Deontay's hands, certainly was a catchable ball. It's little things like that where when we talk about the Steelers offense, it's one little minor thing. It just ends up being a huge setback. And if they find themselves in second and 10, like third and seven, third and eight, they just get behind the chains way too easily, man. And it, it forces these three and outs and it's gassing the defense too. I was actually encouraged that, you know, they held a, a high juggernaut offense like Jacksonville to just 20 points, whether maybe had something to do with it. We forced a lot of turnovers again, uh, you know, picking off Trevor Lawrence, like you said, uh, fourth to fumble on Evan Ingram as well on, uh, as they were driving deep into our territory. So that's encouraging to see. I would have liked TJ Watt to have a little bit more of an impact, uh, but I can't get too greedy there. We'll see, man. I the, This offense, I don't know. Mr. Trubisky's not going to start on Thursday. Kenny should be good enough to go. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's frustrating to watch. Now to, uh, to talk about Jacksonville, they deserve their flowers, dude. Uh, the, the thing that I kept thinking throughout the course of that game was – Man, you know what? I, first of all, I'm ne I'm one of those guys who's not a proponent of taking a running back in the first round. I just think that there's too many injuries to that position. 
it, the, the shelf life isn't very long and I don't really like spending a first round pick on a running back. However, if you're going to, I would have much rather spend our first round pick on Travis Etienne than Najee Harris. Mm. Boy, Etienne was really good, man. He had that long touchdown on what might have been a broken coverage, but he took off and there was no way Joey Porter was going to catch him. It's dynamic on the ground, in the air. Him and Trevor Lawrence obviously have a connection, having been at Clemson together. That team, that team is going to need him to, to go deep. They're not, it's not just Lawrence and it's not just the receivers and Kirk and Ridley that they have. ETN is, you know, after Trevor Lawrence, I'd say, just because Lawrence is the quarterback, ETN's the next most important guy on that team, I think, offense or defense. So why not Jacksonville, man? They're six and two, just like every other division leader in the AFC. Uh it's a four-way tie atop the AFC right now. So Top three seeds, certainly in a question. Not just that. I mean, why rule them out for the number one overall seed in the bye with the the ease of their division that you talked about? Yeah, and I mean, the AFC's kind of up and down, too. I, you've got Baltimore with a tough game against Seattle coming up. Um, they play in a tough division, too. Uh, not to mention the Chiefs just had their their loss uh, to the Broncos that we'll talk more about. Miami isn't perfect. It kind of seems wide open across the board. Uh, like, there's a couple teams that stand out, and we're gonna we're gonna rank our top ten teams later, so we'll get to this. But um, I think this game, this was the first time I really like worried for Pittsburgh in a game after this, because I've been hyping them up all year. I've been telling you like, you guys are good. You're gonna find a way to get nine, ten wins. I promise. Like, it's gonna happen. And this was the first time where I questioned it for a second, and it was only because I've seen Pickett go down in games several times now, and I just almost feel like I'm starting to expect it where he's going to find a way to get hurt again. And that's like the worst for me. That's the biggest red flag in a quarterback. Just when the injuries start to become consistent, because that leads to he's trying to force the ball out quicker because he's afraid to get hit. A big part of Kenny's uh, skills is, is his running ability. He's able to make plays and like improvise. He probably won't do that quite as much if, if these really start to pile up for him. But I hope he stays healthy, man, because I um he hasn't like lit it up per se, but he helps you guys. And the difference between him and the next guy is drastic and you need him. It's it's obvious. That's been a that's been a big topic on, on Pittsburgh Sports Radio, the uh after after he did have that injury. Um is, is he injury prone? I mean, we saw him pick up two concussions last year. He picks up this uh, rib injury. I believe it was. It ended up being ribs. Um, couldn't come back in the game because they, he said he couldn't get enough torque on the ball when he was when he was warming up on the sideline coming out of the second half. Yeah, man, it, it's not a great offensive line either. It doesn't help. Uh, I think his running is already diminished this year compared to last. I think he's already a little bit skittish in that sense. And you're right. I mean, his legs his legs are a big part of his game. At least it should be. For anybody who watched him in the ACC championship against Wake Forest, he literally forced a rule, the the fake slide game. Uh, For anybody, go back and watch that video of him fake sliding against Wake Forest in the ACC championship game from two years ago. So we'll see. He's supposed to play Thursday, um, practiced in full today, and uh, hopefully he's good to go. We're also going to get Cam Hayward back, who's been injured since the opening week against San Francisco, a huge part of our defensive line. It'll be big as uh, as we look to stop Derrick Henry, man. He'll be glued to the TV tomorrow. Uh, Bengals Niners. I think that was probably the most surprising or <clears throat> uh, controversial 
uh, game of the weekend. Certainly one of the more talked about results. The Niners now have lost three straight. Burrow looked phenomenal in that game. The healthiest we've seen him look all year. You and I both kind of alluded to him making plays, not just with his arm, but also with his legs, which he's the, the Joe Burrow that we kind of know and love and hopefully see more of much to your chagrin as a Steelers fan. But um, Purdy again with, you don't really know what to say. He had some mistakes. He also had some plays where he looked really great. Um, who is Brock Purdy really? And are the Bengals a threat now? I feel like yes to the Bengals being a threat. As far as Brock Purdy goes, time still uh, is going to have to tell us that when we get more results and, and more action from him, certainly in big games as well. Oh yeah, Bengals are a threat. That that is that's a definite definite yes. I think Baltimore still maybe has a slight edge over them in the AFC North. I agree. Joe Joe Cool was back though. Joe Cool was back. Um, and the other great thing for them is they ran the ball extremely effectively. Joe yeah. Mixon uh, averaged over five yards a carry. He was averaging the fewest yards per attempt among qualifying rushers coming into that game. So, looking at that on the flip side as well, um, Brock Purdy was bad. I, I, I thought two interceptions and and, and bad ones at that. Uh, one right down by the goal line. That, that definitely cost them points there. But I was concerned about their defense as well, how they were getting gashed in the run game. Uh, obviously, they tried to bolster their their defensive front with Chase Young, as we talked about earlier. But uh, they're showing a little bit of cracks on both sides of the ball. Maybe not quite fully healthy yet. But, I mean, if you look on offense, they had most of their weapons. Depot was the only guy missing. Uh, McCaffrey was back, fully healthy. Kittle and Ayuk both, both go over 100 yards. Um yeah, they've fallen from grace a little bit here in, in, in surprising fashion. Yeah, they're in second place now in the NFC West. Seattle overtook yeah. them. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily time to hit the panic button. Yes, Purdy had those two picks, but he also made a lot of great plays in the game. Like There were some moments where he really stood out, and I, I understand now why <clears throat> so many people are on the fence with him because he has those moments where he looks like a real quarterback and does these awesome things, makes great plays, whatever – moves the chains consistently for San Francisco, but then he'll also have these picks from time to time. So I don't know. The jury's still out on him, but I'm definitely with you with Cincinnati. They looked dangerous today, and this version of Joe Burrow and their offense can beat anybody in the league, regardless of conference. I'm high on Cincinnati now. They, they've got a tough road ahead and a really, really tough division. Everybody in the AFC North is, is, uh, is pretty decent, even with the Browns' struggles at quarterback, but – yeah, man. Um, really interesting result on both sides. Uh, we've got another game as well uh, in the NFC North, Ravens-Cardinals. Um, I saw some of this game. Um, my biggest takeaway really is just how good the Ravens' defense is. They haven't played a ton of great quarterbacks. They've had a weak schedule to start. Uh, if I go back and look at it, um, they had that game against Goff, and then they also faced a hampered Joe Burrow earlier in the year. But really, it's been like, the Texans and CJ Stroud's first ever game as a pro uh, the Colts in that game where I think Richardson uh, I don't believe Richardson played week three. He may have, I'd have to go back and look at it, but their schedule definitely gets tougher from here on out. They got to face the Seahawks at home this coming week. They face the Bengals, the Browns after that, but all three of those games at home, which is where they play best. Um, Arizona played tougher than I thought they would, but they didn't play great. They faded away as the game went on, which was to be expected. Um, what notes you got on, on either of these teams? 
not much. Didn't watch too much of this uh, Ravens-Cardinals game. Uh, like you touched on, I think that we got the result that we were expecting. Baltimore was up pretty comfortably in this game. I know that the car, I heard, I saw the Cardinals had like a crazy backdoor cover two to cover plus nine and a half or plus 10, something like that. So good for Cardinals betters out there. Um, not much else to say. I know Lamar looked really good. Uh, you know, it, it, it is what you expect out there. You did talk about uh, that. Maybe they haven't faced the toughest quarterback competition. Uh, you mentioned that game week three against Indianapolis, one of the games that they've actually lost. I do know Gardner Minshew, at least finished that game. He he finished the game with one. I don't know if it was one of the games where Richardson got hurt, but I know Minshew was the quarterback at the end of that game for Baltimore. Um, they look like a pretty complete team. We talked about them maybe getting Derrick Henry at the trade deadline. Didn't happen. Uh, but Gus Edwards had three touchdowns. So they're going to find a way to run the ball, run it effectively. Not exactly uh, a tough competition this week, but they did what you're supposed to do against a team like the Cardinals. Gus Edwards and Mark Andrews, I love. Those two guys are awesome. Say Flowers looks really good there as well. Uh, Rashad Bateman had a crazy catch where he saved Lamar from throwing a pick. And the Ravens, they had – I think Lamar had one fumble Sunday, but their defense forced a ton of turnovers, man. I, I That's got to be one of the scariest units in the league. Um, sticking in the AFC North, the Browns-Seahawks game was a terrible loss for Cleveland – Terrible. I, I know they were playing PJ Walker, but Cleveland outpaid Seattle for 58 minutes of that game. They had it. They had eight consecutive stops on third downs in the second half. Seattle was not moving the ball. And the Browns were looking like the Browns. They had an elite defense playing at an elite level, but without Nick Chubb, without a reliable quarterback, the offense has been under some tough footing and they couldn't finish the game. Uh, you know, ultimately they weren't, able to do it and it came down to seattle getting that ball and, and going down the field and, and and scoring after uh walker had that pass tipped at the line of scrimmage like sky high um and that thing came down to, to the ground like a beach ball anybody could have caught it i could have caught it um and now the seahawks they're in first place Pete carroll's coaching his tail off um marshawn lynch is criticizing this guy left and right in a different interview on, on twitter or twitch or whatever every week and Seahawks are looking good, man. They've got a huge test against the Ravens next week, which I alluded to a few moments ago. Uh, that's going to be one of my favorite games to watch on Sunday for sure. Yeah, I, this may be the uh, the Steeler fan talking to me, but I am just, for lack of a better term, I'm just kind of sick and tired of calling this Browns defense elite. I know that they <laughs> they, rat, they rattled off they rattled off those stops that you mentioned, but if you look at look at Seattle's rushing statistics in this game. They didn't run the ball a, a, like a ton. They didn't have a ton of carries. But Kenneth Walker, eight carries, 66 yards. Zach Charbonnet, five carries, 53 yards. I mean, Gino threw the two picks. This Cleveland team gave up 38 to Minshew last week. I mean, call me call me a Steeler fan that just hates Cleveland, but I am, I'm done calling this defense elite. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry if I'm a Steeler, a Steeler homer in that one. Um, good to see the Seahawks get a comeback win. I love it. I love to see the Browns get their souls crushed. That's all I got to say about this one. <laughs> I think I think the jury's out on their defense after that game against the Colts. That was the one where I was like, all right, why are the Colts moving the ball against you like this? But they showed up in the Seattle game. They like they showed up when they needed to, is what I would say. They didn't lose that game because of their defense. Um they were they were in that date game because of their defense. But anyways, uh Cowboys Rams, this was this was a rough game. It was not a score as close as the 
the score said, and the score wasn't exactly close. Um, the defense for Dallas is dominant for, at times, like even more so than anybody else, just how they generate points and turnovers. This game was over by halftime. Um, LA got some garbage points late, but really this game was well over with a lot of time left. Uh, Dak's going to have bad games at some point in this year, and probably the Cowboys end up disappointing everybody again in January as they do every single year. But I like him, man. Um, they've got a real opportunity to prove some people wrong against Philly this weekend. That's easily the game of the week. CeeDee Lamb is an incredible playmaker. They haven't really gotten Pollard going yet. Um, once they do that, maybe things change for him offensively and they get even better. So I think there's still a level they can go up. But yeah, man, I, I love him. And and the Rams really missed Kyron Williams. Their running game didn't work quite as well as it did this past week. Stafford kind of had to do everything and then ended up getting hurt. I hope he can stay healthy because he's been fun to watch this year. The Rams offense at times has been pretty, pretty enjoyable as a football fan, just to sit back and, and see. But um, yeah, man, huge win for Dallas. They've got another big game coming up. I think this was a great momentum and, and confidence booster for them going into that test against Philly. Yeah, Dallas. I kind of, I kind of liken Dallas to the to the Bills sometimes, where they at times are capable of looking like maybe the best team in the league. I mean, the way that they played uh, this week against the Rams, kind of how they looked against you guys, New England, in that opening night against the Giants. I know that those three teams aren't exactly the juggernauts of the NFL, but Dallas can look as good as as anyone on a given week. Dak was great. CeeDee Lamb was great as well. It's just, it just comes down to inconsistencies with them. And, and we'll see as they, they battle Philly. I think that they – do they have Philadelphia coming up this week? I, I They do, yeah. They do. Yeah, yeah so, this weekend. So that'll be a pivotal matchup. Uh, I am uh, disheartened to see Stafford kind of pick up another injury here. We know he dealt with some injuries last week uh, – or last year, excuse me. You just kind of wonder, he's getting up there in age, mid-30s, exactly how much he has left in the tank and if the injuries pile up, uh, kind of how much more is he willing to give. Rams didn't really get Cooper Cup involved in this game. I think he only had like four catches. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and they're missing Kyron Williams as well. Uh, they We, we might have jinxed them uh, podcast style. I don't think that they've won a game. and We seem to talk them up every week. But uh, good win for the Cowboys nonetheless. Big test for them coming up against Philly. I still have some hope for the Rams. I, I still like some of the pieces on their team. I feel like they will be a frisky 500 to slightly below 500 team the rest of the way. You know, they'll have some wins that we'll like. They'll probably have another loss or two like this, maybe at least one more. But I think my biggest takeaway from this actually was, uh, besides the game next week between Dallas and Philly, C.D. Lamb, man, every single week, this guy continues to make play after play after play and – I'm not trying to hate on Dak, but I feel like if you throw CD in like an elite offense with an elite, elite quarterback, this guy jumps off the page. Like we kind of saw it with AJ Brown when he moved to Tennessee to Philly, how right away you see the talent and the skill and what he can do for an offense like that. I'm not saying he's being misused in Dallas. I'm just saying that there are better quarterbacks than Dak who would be able to put him in better positions than he's being put in. And that would be a cool thing to see later down the road, maybe later in Lamb's career or in a couple of years. Who knows? Uh, it's just a thought I had. That's it. That's it. Um, how much better? How much better do you think he can get? I mean, he's ninth. He's ninth in the league in receiving yards right now. So I think not, he could be top five. Ex- he's not exactly having a bad year. I mean, I 
I, I think Dak, I, I like Dak a little bit more than the average guy. Um, mm. I think he does a pretty good job of getting the ball. I think he had, what, 12 catches in this game? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how much more of a ceiling he really has. I don't look at it as like the same thing as an AJ Brown situation, man. I certainly think Dak does a better job of getting him the ball than, than Tannehill did getting AJ Brown the ball. But uh, I mean, who do you think, what, what team do you think he, he would go to where he would take that much of a jump? Or, uh, or what quarter, what quarterback do you think he could play with where he would the, take that much of a jump? The first one I think of is Mahomes, where, I mean, well, KC doesn't have a no doubt wide receiver one. Rasheed Rice has looked great the last couple of weeks. And obviously Kelsey is like, the main uh who's who, the guy who's receiving most of the targets for good reason but I mean, that's got to be the first guy you think of right just like what he would look like in an offense with the best quarterback the best head coach he's ninth in receiving yards right now I, I could see him going like top five top six maybe not like top two or three or top four but I think he could still go up a level is my point and and I don't know if that comes from the Dak side of things or maybe he still just has to keep growing into his game um, but I, I I love him as a player. I, I think he's Dallas's most talented offensive player, including Dak and and Pollard as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, I don't agree with you. Uh, Eagles Commanders. Um, I watched <laughs> probably. I mean, I watched a lot of this game, and uh, I was a little bit surprised. Um, the Eagles really slept walk through most of the first half and had some big plays late in the second quarter that woke them up, but they still had to really fight for this win. Sam Howell had like 400 yards, four touchdowns. He looked great. Most of the game, he fought through pressure uh, a few times, but for the most part, he had time to throw for a guy who had so many sacks coming into this one. And with that time to throw, he was carving up the Eagles defense. It was ugly. Uh, McLaurin made some huge plays. Um, he's another guy that I think would be a great, uh, fit for just a better team. If you saw him in an actual offense, it would be really cool to watch. I think he's a really talented individual. Um, but the biggest story of this game was AJ Brown. It's just dominant, man. Like if you haven't seen his highlights from that game, go back and watch them. Cause he had one of the most insane one-handed catches I've ever seen. And then he was pretty much playing against double coverage the rest of the way. And he was still like making plays, making big catches where he's not just, being defended by two guys he's also getting pass interfered with almost every single play and it's being called and he's still making the catches this guy's ridiculous i know tyree kill has like elite level speed and can pretty much take the top off any defense but what brown can do he reminds me of like like he gives me shades of like prime julio jones mixed with a little bit of calvin johnson calvin johnson's like the insane overstepping my comp reach for him but I don't feel like it's too crazy with some of the plays we've seen him make recently. You can't even double cover him. You got to put three guys on him, which you can't do. And I, there's nobody else I've ever even thought of that has had that be a consistent thing with them like that than, than CJ. So um, Philly's got a gauntlet the next six weeks. They have to play Dallas at home. Then they got to have a bye. And then they play Kansas city, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again, and then Seattle. So they're four and one right now in one score games against mostly bad teams. Uh, we're going to know who they really are in a month and a half for sure. Um, do you have anything you want to add to that or just respond to, to anything I went over there? Yeah, I do.
do have one thing I want to add uh, before I get to that point. I, I agree. A.J. Brown, just a phenomenal talent. He's second in the league to uh, only to Tyreek Hill in receiving yards this year, and they're mm-hmm. both way clear of Puka Nakua, who's third. So, I mean, Tyreek Hill has just over 1,000 yards so far, and A.J. Brown with 939. So they're both they're both right there. Um, they have Neither one of those guys have had their buy yet, so that might be why they're a little bit ahead of the rest of the competition. Um, I want to talk about – Philly's defense, man. Uh, this, the passing defense has gaps in it. That's that's a problem. Uh, I don't know where they rank in opponent yards per per game passing wise uh, compared to opposing quarterbacks, but I do know if we uh, take this into a fantasy perspective that they are the the best matchup for fantasy wide receivers this year. They're not doing a good job of covering guys. Jahan Dotson has been largely quiet for Washington. He was supposed to be a compliment to Terry McLaurin, second round guy or first round guy, second year man out of Penn state. He went for a hundred yards and a touchdown after not having done much this season. So Philly's got to sure up their secondary. They attempted to do that by acquiring Kevin Byard from the Titans a couple weeks ago. We'll see if it comes to fruition here in the coming weeks, but we saw how big of a game CD had against the Rams this past week. That could be a big problem and a favorable matchup for Dallas going forward. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on in that matchup with the, Eagles and Cowboys. I'm worried about the pass defense of Philly. My counterpoint to that is that the commanders actually only attempted 16 running plays in that game, as opposed to 52 passes. So I think that comes down to more just game planning for most teams. When you're facing the Eagles, you don't expect to really run the ball against them very well because of their front seven, because of their D line. So like I can understand building a game plan around the passing game and trying to attack them that way. And it's been working for teams. I'd have to go back and look at the box scores from the other games and see what the, um, how, what the balance of pass versus run plays were like, but I would not be surprised if that was a trend that you saw across your other games as well. It's just teams trying to, trying to pass as much as they can against them because they think that's their best chance. Um, Two other games we can hit on real quick. Broncos Chiefs. I, I don't think we really need to talk about this one. I know the Broncos won and it kind of saved their season. And, and Russ Wilson has looked a little bit rejuvenated and, and is looking pretty good. Still not what Peyton expects as a QB, but the dysfunction that we saw from them in the last couple of weeks has faded away a little bit. Um, really, I think if uh, Mahomes is healthy in this game, the result is different because he definitely didn't look himself. But you still have to recognize this is his first road divisional loss. Uh, as a quarterback, this is his first loss to the Broncos. Um, I'm personally not worried about them. They do have a really tough game in Miami this coming week, and they got to travel a long way to do it. Uh, the The miles traveled from Denver to um, uh, Frankfurt, it's like over 5,000 miles, and the Chiefs have only ever played one game in Europe before. Mahomes has only played one game internationally. He actually played it in Mexico City. So this is totally uncharted territory for him after he just had the flu. I could see Miami maybe squeaking that game out. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think Denver is going to look terrible again uh, multiple times this year. And, and ultimately, I think we'll look back on this game at the end of the year and probably laugh a little bit. I have zero, and I mean zero, concern about the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, fluke game here. You mentioned it. Mahomes um, picks up that flu or flu-like symptoms, whatever it was that morning. They turned the ball over a ton. I think McCall Hardman had a muff punt in there as well. It's at Denver up with some good field position. And yeah, I mean, credit, credit to the Broncos. They were due to get a win here against Kansas City. Russ's numbers actually look pretty solid 
And I also think that their defense has kind of turned things around after that embarrassing 70 point game against Miami. I think it, if you look up their, their team statistics, they're probably still not going to look that great just because of how inflated they are after the Miami loss. But even if the chiefs aren't hundred percent to hold that juggernaut of an off juggernaut of an offense to just nine points, it's extremely impressive. Uh, maybe part of the reason why they weren't willing to deal guys like Pat Sertan at the deadline. So I give a lot of credit to the Broncos. It seems that Sean Payton hasn't completely lost them in the locker room. This has to be a feel good win for him. Uh, I'm kind of with you that I don't, I don't see them necessarily building on it going forward, but I, you know, you give it, you give a team credit for getting up off the mat and finding a way to win a game against a, a monster that has dominated them over the past few years. Absolutely. Um, Giants Jets. I, I don't even really think we need to spend time on this. Was a terrible game. It was the worst one of the weekend by far. I think it set a record for most punts in a game since they started tracking the number of they, punts in games. They had. They had. I'm sorry to interrupt. They had more total punts in this game than were points scored. 20, <laughs> 20, 20, 24 punts. There were twenty four combined punts. The final <laughs> score was thirteen to ten, and they needed overtime to get the to get to twenty three total points. That is, that is how egregious this game was. And the worst part of it is the Jets have a winning record. How? How? Their defense, Zach, man. Their Zach defense. Wilson's terrible. Their defense. Their defense. That's, That's it. Their defense. Oh, my gosh. Dude, it infuriates me because my, my team, we also have a decent defense, and our quarterback is abysmal. He's not Zach Wilson bad, but he's bad. How come my team can't – never mind. You know what? I – Screw the Jets. Screw the Giants. Both those teams are trash. <laughs> well, well, with the Jets, though, I mean, they have proven now. Yeah, that you're right. That you're they're, right. They're, they're, when it comes to they can win games but with their defense. Yeah. I Look, I've kind of criticized the Steelers for going down that route. So I'm not I'm not going to give the Jets like tons of praise. Mm. And I don't think that it's a super sustainable model and it's not going to hold up when you face the top dogs in the AFC, right? Jacksonville, like Kansas city, Buffalo, et cetera. But I mean, right now it's good enough to keep them in the playoff hunt and it's good enough to keep them afloat. Yeah. You ask how they're winning games. It's their defense. Now it helps when you face my my boy, Tommy DeVito and he has (laughs) negative passing yards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. The the jets, the jets are a good defensive unit. So Great defensive unit. Yeah, it's also not like this was their plan going into the year. They had Aaron Rodgers. He lasted four points. Right. So I, I'll give Wilson credit. He's been turning the ball over a lot less since that uh, game against KC where he fumbled to lose it. He's actually, I think he's only had like one turnover since then. He still can't convert on third downs. He still can't really move the ball down the field. But like, there's sort of something ish to work with there now. Sorta. I don't hate him as much as I did at the beginning of the year. It's just still not good. Um, NFL MVP odds. Uh, I was looking at this, um, the other day, right now, the favorite is Mahomes at plus 270. Then you have Hertz at plus 350 and Tua at plus 370. Uh, Lamar at plus 600. I kind of like, um, I feel like if the Ravens keep winning games, his stock is going to keep growing. He's won an MVP before. So we've seen it. Trevor Lawrence is a long shot at plus 1800 and even CMC, uh, at 2,800 plus 2,800, maybe if you're feeling real frisky, but I don't think we'll see a running back win this award anytime soon. McCaffrey would have to have an incredible second half of the year to really give himself a shot. 
Uh, is there someone that you would put your money on if, if you had to choose out of those options or, or was there somebody I missed that you liked a little bit? You, uh, could you tell me what the odds are for Tyree Kale to win MVP? Yeah. Yeah. I can look at that for you. Do you think he would, I mean, what would have to happen for him to win it over Tua with that offense though? Like what's, well, what's, it, what's the it's recipe? A, it's a quarterback's award. I, you know, I'll admit that. I mean, the first, what, three, four names that you mentioned are quarterbacks and yeah. That's just kind of how the nature of the award goes. So it's it will be tough for him to be recognized over Tua. But, I mean, it's tough to ignore what Tyreek is doing this year, and it's tough to ignore just exactly how important he is to that offense. He's already over a 1,000 yards receiving through just eight games. That leads the NFL. He's lightning quick. He takes the top off and the cover off the defense, opens up the underneath game. Quite frankly, no cornerback can cover him. Um, I, you know, he makes Tua so much better. And if you take Tyreek Hill away from that offense, I, I don't I really don't know what Tua Tagovailoa below looks like. I, I I really don't. That's the point I was I, I'm I'm trying to get with with Tyreek Hill here. I also think that if you're talking about in terms of odds and from a betting perspective, because we do try to bring the the gambling perspective into things here for our listeners, I think that he's a great value play uh here as well. You know, if if you if let me paint a picture for you. If he goes over 2000 yards for the, for the regular season, I mean, how could you ignore him or not at least consider him at that point? His, his odds are plus 5,000. Um, I will say we saw this happen. It's a home run play, baby. It's yeah, a home it's, run play. It's a home run play. Um, my counterpoint is that we saw that exact situation happen with Cooper cup a couple of years ago and he didn't end up winning or even coming close. So uh, it's, I kind of hate that of the NFL. Like it's not necessarily true that the quarterback is, the most valuable guy in the league every year. Um, Hill, I think, has certainly been a difference maker for Miami. You could make a great case for it. I'd certainly be willing to listen, but it's pretty much a quarterback's award, and, and I don't think you'd be able to change it. But I, I like I like where you're going with that. And and I don't think um I don't think that's all smoke. I think if the voters did things a little bit differently, he'd really have a great shot. Um next up. Top 10 teams in the NFL. Do I have my list made. Do you have yours? I did not do my homework on this one, but All right. I'll, li- I'll listen to yours and we'll, we'll, we'll play off of yours here. Patrick. Yeah. Okay. That works for me. So would you rather me go? I'm going to start from the top. So I'm going to start from the top. I'm going to start with uh, what I'm going to do is here. I'm going to list my top 10 teams in the NFL currently after the first eight weeks of the season. Paul, any disagreements as I'm going through them? Tell me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to list them in order and then I'll make my case for each kind of as kind of afterwards. So uh, my order, I have Philly number one. I have Baltimore number two. I have Kansas City, the Chiefs, number three, number four, San Fran, followed by Dallas, Jacksonville. And then after that, I think there's kind of a drop off in terms of uh talent and like what you could expect their ceiling to be at the end of the year, because I think these teams have holes afterwards. I have Buffalo uh, after Jacksonville as the uh, sixth team. I have Miami as the seventh team. I put by me, I put Buffalo over Miami only because they beat them head to head, to be honest, that that was the deciding factor for me. And then I have Seattle at nine and Detroit at 10. And I had Seattle at nine over Detroit for the same reason. They beat them head to head earlier in the year. Uh, The honorable mentions, I had, uh, I thought really hard about the Browns, but ultimately I didn't even want to include them on this side of things. I, the quarterback situation is way too iffy for me. My honorable mentions were uh, Cincinnati and New Orleans. 
Um, those were the other two teams I, I thought maybe could have had a, a shot at sneaking in Cincinnati. I just haven't seen them fully healthy long enough to really believe in them. And new Orleans simply put, I just don't see them beating any of the teams I had listed above them. Um, Philly, Baltimore, Kansas city, San Fran, Dallas, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Miami, Seattle, Detroit. Like I don't think new Orleans beats any of those teams head to head in a neutral site. Um, going back through the list from top to bottom, uh, First off, was there any team that you thought was rated like way too high for my list? And I can go over the 10 again if you need. No, I, I remember it. Uh, the team that jumps out to me that's too high on there is Dallas. Mm. Uh, you have teams, you had Jacksonville right behind them. I would put Jacksonville above them. I'd put Detroit above them as well. Uh, I'd put Miami above them. Uh, I think Dallas is good. We talked about their inconsistencies earlier and some of their big wins and press wins have been against sub 500 teams. So I think he got them a little bit too high personally. That was the, the first team that jumped out at me. Yeah. Dallas, I, they interested me and Dallas Jacksonville was kind of like a toss up to me. I would have felt comfortable having Jacksonville fourth. I even thought about having Jacksonville as, uh, or I mean, I would have had, I felt comfortable. I would have felt comfortable having Jacksonville fifth ahead of Dallas and having Dallas sixth. And I even thought about having Jacksonville fourth instead of San Fran. Um, but it was close and and I had my reasonings behind it. I think um, Dallas with the ability that their defense has shown just to shut teams down, not necessarily great teams. That is a factor to me. And, you know, I, for, for Jacksonville's case um, or Detroit's case, who you mentioned, that was the team that I, I thought I had kind of low as well, but I really thought about it and they've had some, that game against Baltimore, uh, really influenced my thinking. And then they also lost to Seattle early in the year as well. I just want to see them beat more good teams. That's the thing in their division is like, they don't really have any now, especially with Kirk uh, going out for the rest of the year. I, I mean, we'll see what Dobbs turns into in Minnesota, but I, I don't know if they're going to get that test until they get it. And so far this year, we haven't seen them respond well in that situation. Um I'm interested to see what happens for them going forward. And I know they did have that win uh, against yeah, the Raiders yeah. the other night, but. Well, I think, I, I think that you have a classic case of uh, either recency bias or maybe you've forgotten if, if we date back to the beginning of the season, I think that they got a pretty damn tough test going on the road in Arrowhead to open the year up. And how about them going on the road and beating the chiefs that, that, that doesn't carry any weight still. That's true. No, that's, that's a great point. Um, I think it does have to matter. You got to think about it for sure. You can't not. Um, but no, man, I, I just want to see them do it more against good teams. They, they lost to Seattle on this list. The Ravens really just pushed them around in that game in Baltimore. Like that was ugly. And, and I think that's what scared me off. Week one feels like a long time ago from now. It was literally two months ago. So I, I'm thinking about it, but who the team was week one compared to who they're going to be week nine or even week 18 totally different so i'm not giving that game too much stock uh detroit ahead has the bears and the packers uh, after they play the chargers on the road this week so that chargers game i think that could be a flex game i could see chargers maybe winning it at home we'll have to see um the lions other tough games on their schedule they play at new orleans uh the first weekend in december and then they have the cowboys on the road um the night before new year's eve but otherwise they've got smooth sailing so i'm sure as we do this list again later in the year they'll, they'll probably shoot up a little bit more um 
for my case for Philly as the best team, kind of like what you were saying about Dallas when we talked about their game, how they didn't really play their best and they still found a way to win. Philly's kind of played like crap in a lot of ways. We talked about their past defense and I've seen them sleepwalk early in games a lot. It just seems like they haven't taken anybody they faced ultra seriously yet. And that Cowboys game they have this weekend is like the true litmus test for both teams where they really stand and what happens for them going to the second half of the season. Um, I, they only have one loss in the year. I, I just, I couldn't put a head of a lot of teams ahead of them. Uh, Baltimore, I had second because I really love their defense, how they've been playing. They move the ball efficiently. Lamar looks comfortable. He's not making as many turnovers. He's been completing his passes at an absurdly high percentage for him. Um, they play in a tough division, which is going to be their downfall. I, I'm sure that they're, they're probably, if they had a run to the one seed, that would really impress me considering who their six divisional games are against. Uh, KC, don't really need to hype them up too much. They're the Chiefs. They're going to be there. It's it's like death taxes, Kansas City being competitive at the end of the season at this point. Um, San Fran, I had fourth just because of like their talent, and they are missing some with, with uh, Debo being hurt. And I, I think they're still trying to work out some kinks. I, uh, otherwise, um, Kittle had a huge game for them. McCaffrey continues to be just incredible. Uh, but their defense has struggled a little bit and Purdy doesn't look great. So I really think after that top, like you have a top tier of like Philly, Baltimore, KC. And then I think there's another tier of like San Fran, Dallas, maybe Jacksonville. Maybe you throw in another team of like Buffalo, Miami, or maybe Detroit after that Seattle, I have at nine, but really I feel like they should be at 10. Um, I just want to see more from them. Like I don't, I don't, I wouldn't believe in them come, uh january but if they get a win in baltimore this week why not man that's if they can do that then i will totally switch around how i feel about them um i'd be interested to see what happens with that game this weekend for sure uh and then buffalo and and miami I, i just they have incredibly talented quarterbacks when they're healthy when they're not making mistakes their offenses we know what they can do uh the defenses for both of this these teams really, really perplex me and give me pause. Um, if I have to put them up against like a Philly, I don't know how they stop them for four quarters. I don't think they do. Oh, They'd have, yeah, Miami or yeah. Buffalo. My, my, well, Miami didn't just a couple weeks ago. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I think your list is your list is pretty good by and large here. Uh, I, I would probably still put Kansas City number one just because of the quarterback. That might be a little bit of a cop out there. I do kind of agree with that break after San Francisco, especially. I think he said that that, that Tia really falls off. I do agree with that. Um, and I like the ranking of San Francisco exactly where they are, too, because we've seen them underperform the past couple of weeks, but maybe not completely at full strength. And and what do you believe, right? You know, do you believe the their struggles over the past couple of weeks, or do you believe how good they looked in the, the first half of the, the schedule? So I'm still kind of leaning more towards how they looked the first five, six weeks of the year. Uh, all in all, move those Lions up. That, that's been your team that you've been riding with. Uh, but other than that, not bad. You did your homework, so I, I got to give you credit there. And I, I did not on my part, so I would my say apologies. No, you're good. You're good. I, next week, maybe we'll do the flip version of this where you give your list and I respond to it. We can, we can do it that way. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say that the two teams on that list that I think really have a chance to hurt me, either in a positive way where they outperform or 
maybe on the flip side in a negative way. Uh, Detroit, obviously they could end up being a top four or five team record wise in the league at the end of the year. Uh, and then with, uh, with San Fran, I, I, I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet, but I understand why some people are close. Um, and then Baltimore, I, I just feel like an injury to Lamar and, and maybe a couple of bad things, bad games happen and, and everybody can switch how they feel about them as well. Um, so we'll see. It's been a great year so far. There's some really tough competitive teams. Um, next week's a huge week with some crazy games on the slate. Dolphins, Chiefs, and Frankfurt, Cowboys, Eagles, Seahawks, Ravens, and then Bills, Bengals. Um, huge, huge week nine. Those are all I mean, three or four of them could be playoff matchups. Seahawks, Ravens, you would only see in the Super Bowl. But Bills, Bengals, Cowboys, Eagles, Dolphins, Chiefs would not be surprised at all to see those matchups again later on in the year whatsoever. Can't wait! Can't wait for Dolphins, Chiefs, man. Uh, get up early. Uh, yeah. Don't drink. Don't drink. Don't drink too much Saturday night. Make sure you are able to get up for that nine thirty a.m. start over in Germany. You should see some fireworks there. I expect that game to be played in the thirties. Should be fun. Absolutely. Um, we're going to take another break. We got fantasy coming around the corner when we return. Stick around for more Fifth and Long podcast. Once again, welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast. Patrick DeMar and Polly Commissioner Kashak for uh, our favorite excitement of the show. We're going to give you a deep dive into our fantasy football league, show you a little bit about what's going down uh, in Club Garnet, Club Back, Club Black. Uh, to recap for you, for anyone who hasn't heard our explanation of our league before, we've got 24 guys playing in two leagues of 12 at the end of the season. The winner from it, each league of 12 will play each other in the Super Bowl. Uh, yes, you can have common players in that game. Uh, it's happened before. could happen again. Who knows? Um, it's a great group. Love it. A lot of talented fantasy football players. It's uh, the highlight of my weekend every weekend. Paul, break it down what we saw in week eight for us. Yes, sir, baby. Thank you, Patrick, for giving me the floor here on the fantasy football segment, as always. All right. Uh, huge matchup between two five and two teams. This past weekend, uh, the Hershey squirts led by John McAuliffe, uh, full chub led by James Konopinski. Our buddy Hallway, uh, John McAuliffe, uh, gets the win in this one narrowly, 116-111. Huge win here for him as he is uh, cements himself in second place, uh, just behind Tim Item, who's 7-1, and one. we'll get to him on the club black side in a minute. Uh, always winning games with the Eagle stack. We talked about AJ Brown in a prior segment of the podcast. He's got Jalen hurts and AJ Brown. Um, phenomenal. I mean, when those guys hook up for a touchdown, it's a 10 point play. Those guys combined for 60 points in this one, not a phenomenal overall day for a hallway as he put up 116, but a good win nonetheless there over Kano. Kano's still five and three. So he should be a contender going forward. Not going to dive into every matchup in this one, but I do want to talk also briefly about Hunter's win with Pete Pollard. He recently dealt Justin Jefferson uh, for Jalen Waddle, among others. 
Obviously, Jefferson's still hurt right now. Hunter needed some wins quick coming into this one as he was only two and five. He gets a massive day. Jalen Waddle's best day of the year. 142 points in total for Feed Pollard here. Uh, 28 from Gus Edwards was a big part of it as well. And Joe Burrow had his best game of the season as well. So uh, the trade actually looking like uh, the, the strategy's paying off there. I see it as he's going for immediate wins there to try to creep back into the playoff picture. He's three and five. Uh, Sprinks has kind of fallen on hard times here a little bit. I believe he started off three and one. He was the loser in this matchup. Uh, he's now three and four. Five, or he might have lost like four of his last five or something like that. So he's fallen out of the playoff picture at the current moment in time. We talked about Jason last week. He's the one who acquired Justin Jefferson recently. And uh, he recently dealt Jalen Waddle for him, as we mentioned, among others. Cooper Cup, a down day for him. He fails to crack 90 points. He falls to four and four in this one. He's still fifth overall in the playoff picture. Should show how tight things are. Uh, but he's just going to try to hold on until Justin Jefferson gets back. Surprise win from DeLay. I was uh, happy to see DeLay get a win here. I'm sure the rest of the league was as well as they were able as uh, Team DeLay. Again, Brendan, if you're listening to this, change your freaking name. Fantasy football, you're supposed to have a good fantasy name, okay? You don't want to just have Team your last name. Anyhow, uh, it was cool to see him pull off an upset win over Jason, uh, kind of hang around. It delays in 11th in the standings right now, but there's a slew of four and four teams and three and five teams in Club Black that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, so he's not quite as far out of it as you may think. One of the big risers uh, in recent weeks is Mediocreville One Stars, led by newcomer Zach Smith. Obviously, uh, you've known Zach for a while now. Zach was in the in the basement. I believe he was in last place just a matter of weeks ago. Has a big 139 to 68 point win over Joe Tartaglia's local Baltimorean squad, who is now in currently in last in Club Black. CD Lamb, the big candidate, the big hitter for Zach's team. We gave him a lot of love earlier in the podcast here. He has a big 37 point day. George Kittle adds to the scoring as well. Zach's team's looking a lot better. Uh, I think you talked about him maybe a week or two ago on the pod as a team that potentially to watch out for. They're starting to make a little bit of a run. Had some good point totals in the past couple of weeks, and he's climbed into eighth right now. Uh, so at three and five, he's in that kind of slog just outside of the playoff picture. But point totals starting to look better and certainly has a lot to fight for going through the rest of the season. Yeah, he didn't even play Hopkins last weekend. Uh, that would have been another crazy. Yeah, like, imagine so, what that point total would have been. Yeah, he could have hit like one. He could have hit like one seventy if he did that. I, I mean, he might going forward. Who knows? Um, Zach and I had some maybe what if possibly trade discussions this past week. Ultimately, to no avail. So, uh, yeah, he's got a good squad going forward for Damn sure. Shame. Damn shame, Patrick, because that would have been another good talking segment. Just you making any trade that grabs <laughs> the highlights, man. Apparently. Uh, it, it it stinks though for, for Zach on that because like it's it's great to have this nice breakout day and his team's getting in a rhythm. But I always kind of hate it when he's in a you're in a situation like this because Joe only scored 68 points in the opposition. It's like you didn't really need your team to go off. And then it's like next week they probably won't go off. And you're like, oh, I wish I could have saved the the big performance for when I really needed it and had the crappy one when I didn't, but such is the juxtaposition that is fantasy football. Hmm. 
This next matchup, you uh probably not going to be too happy about, but this would be Hold My Dabbles, of course, managed by Tim Item, former club baseball treasurer. He got the win here, 118-98 uh, over your Long Island Ice T-Bags. Patrick, what's going on here? You've lost four in a row. Yeah, so I know fantasy football isn't a sport for moral victories, but just getting close to the 100-point mark this week felt good. I haven't done that in a bit. Uh, So, like, to me, that was like, all right, this is a little bit different. I'll take it. Um, I had a little bit of mismanagement in my lineup. I was really nervous about Cooper uh, playing for Cleveland in that game against Seattle. I just didn't trust either of the quarterbacks. I couldn't throw Rasheed Rice out there when I heard about Mahomes getting sick. So I stuck with Christian Kirk in that rain-soaked game in Pittsburgh, really limiting uh, his potential involvement in the offense. Kamara had a great game. Jacobs actually sort of had a comeback. Uh, Josh, uh, Jared Goff throwing that pick six really hurt me uh, ultimately in in that matchup, but I wouldn't have been able to beat Tim unless uh, I had a couple of different things go my way. Uh, He's got a great group, and even when he doesn't necessarily have the best days from his players – Uh, or slow days per se, he's still going to have a good enough team to be a lot of good teams. Um, For me, I've got, I've I've been saying for like three weeks in a row, I I have a must win game to try to get off the schneid, but I really do this week. It feels like uh, this coming week, I will be playing Fields of Dreams, Collins team who actually beat earlier in the year. That was one of my, I think that was my first win of the season back in week one, if I'm not mistaken, but I might be wrong. Um, I, hope that there could be a turnarounds. Uh, there might be some more moves to be made. Uh, right now there's like for sure a, a stack of really good teams at the top of our league that are tough to beat. And the meat of my schedule the last few weeks has been against them. My schedule eases up a little bit at the tail end of the year. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, man, I, I got to switch the vibes up. I tried to trade players. I might have to change the team name. I'm strongly considering it. That might be something I do before kickoff yeah. Thursday night's game. I know I, I love the Long Island Ice Tea Bags moniker. And just being in that 500 territory is different for, for the franchise. But if it's not working, it's not working, man. Four losses in a row, it's a bad omen. So I, I might have to switch something up or, I don't know, sacrifice a chicken or something pregame. We'll see what happens little reference to major league there i do love it um <laughs> all right final matchup of the club final matchup of the club black slate was the matzo ballers managed by cooper myers malinger against fields of dreams as you just mentioned colin the owner and manager of that team cooper leads club black in points despite only having a three and five record he's had a lot of high point total scored against him on the on the air so it's good to see him get a win against colin who had a little bit of an underwhelming day cooper has another good day himself though 132 to 104 the score in this one jameer gibbs jameer gibbs could be a, a new dimension for this team scores 30 points he has christian mccaffrey as well we, we know what mccaffrey does week in and week out but if jameer gibbs kind of takes over that starting role even when montgomery comes back that's just another dimension that the matzo ballers can go to they've just been hanging around they're seventh they're the first team out of the playoffs uh if they were to start today i really think that if all they need to do is basically just face a team that doesn't go off and they're they're gonna have a good chance to win it's a good team cooper has um one that i could definitely see making its push into the playoffs so that was the that was a quick recap of of all the scores from the Club Black Week Eight schedule. I'm going to just talk briefly about how things look in the standings right now as well. Uh, I think I mentioned 
Tim leads everybody in club black. He's seven and one on the year. He's rattled off seven in a row. Uh, win streaks have been a common theme in both club black and club garnet. And I touched on that this week's league manager note. Tim's no, no stranger to that. And I've also mentioned how he's kind of gotten some guys back. He got Saquon Barkley back from injury a couple weeks ago. Also, uh, Jonathan Taylor has recently come back in a couple weeks and still kind of getting his footing under him, dealing with uh, some some touches going to Zach Moss. But I think you can really make the argument that Tim's team is just now hitting their stride. And the fact that, you know, he only has one loss to this point speaks volumes for his management. That being said, I've talked about how good I think Cooper's team is, and I think it is very good, but not far behind in points and arguably the best team in the league is Hallways Hershey Sports. It really is. He's got the AJ Brown stack with Jalen Hurts, and he's also got Travis Kelsey. I didn't really mention Travis Kelsey at all. We talked about how the Chiefs had a down week and he wasn't too involved, but typically, obviously, a big hitter there as well. Those two teams play each other this this upcoming week. They are the front runners for the buys, obviously, uh, sitting at seven and one and six and two. If Tim gets this win, He's going to be two games clear of everybody else with just four games to go at that point and be in golden position. If Hallway gets the win, he's going to have the point tiebreaker over Tim and he's going to take over the lead in club black here. So it's a massive game for the standings, a uh, huge game for each of those teams as they make a push for a bye. Yeah. After this... that fields of dreams and full. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you finish up and then I'll make my point. No. Okay. Um, Fields of Dreams and Full Chubb sitting at five and three right there. You can't rule them out. They, uh, they're in a good spot right now for the playoffs. Might be a little bit of a tall task to overtake the teams in front of them to got, try to get a bye. And then it gets to the real meat and potatoes of the club black division, where seven teams after that are within a game of each other. You, your Long Island nice tea bags, and the Walmart Broncos coached by Jason – are both four and four and hold the final two playoff spots right now. Then you have Cooper's Matzo Ballers, Zach's Mediocreville One Stars, Hunter's Feed Pollard Squad, Sprinks's, please excuse maybe some PG rated team name, one in the stink, two in the pink, three in the pen. If you don't understand it, look it up. Or don't. He's at three and five. And- yeah, he's at three and five, and then delay is also at three and five. So those are teams right there from seven to eleven that are all within a game of a playoff spot. Just should make for a really exciting uh, final five weeks here in Club Black, and that's all I wanted to touch on. That it's really wide open. Who can grab? I think it's going to be a battle between seven teams for the final two spots. The way it's shaping up, it should be should be crazy finish. And you could even get a few more teams in there. I, I mean, I know like there's some teams ahead of mine that look way better on paper, certainly through results in the first eight games of the year. But I won the first four games of the season, and then I lost the next four games after that. I feel like this is a league where you could see anything happen week to week, Um, certainly with some teams that lower ends of the standings that have either underperformed or made moves to try to bolster their roster in recent weeks. Um, And then you got some teams up at the top that don't necessarily feel unbeatable either I think these next couple of weeks are really crucial for standings and um, you got to figure out a way to get some wins uh, going into those next two or three weeks. Cause if you're like counting on wins with two or three weeks to go to, to either fight back or secure a playoff spot um, it's going to be some nervous times for sure. 
Uh, talk to me about Club Garnet, though. What's going on, on on the other side of the conference, on the other side of the league, I should say? Yeah, so we're seeing some similarities on the Club Garnet side in terms of how the, the division and the, the structure of the standings is actually breaking down. I'll touch on that in just a second, but let me give the quick recap of how everything went in week eight. So much like yourself, I my team has fallen on a little bit of hard times lately. Uh, it's interesting because I don't think either one of our teams has won a game since we started doing this podcast. <laughs> the uh, ultimate classic. podcast jinx. The <laughs> ultimate podcast jinx. <laughs> I dropped my third game in a row to fall to four and four after a, a hot four and one start. Pretty discouraging for me. It was at the hands of injured reserve, of course, led by our friend and grandfather, Wade Biltoft. He defeated me 131 to 118. Uh, I was somewhat happy with my 118 points. I thought it was a solid overall day. Jalen Waddle had his best day of the year, but not enough to catch Wade, who's got a really good running back core. I think that that's where his team his team starts. He's got Alvin Kamara. He talked about Josh Jacobs having a, a much better day, getting back on track a little bit. And he also has George Kittle in the tight end slot, who who had a big day, and we've touched on him multiple times already. So good for Wade. And that 131 points was with just a uh, about a four and a half point or very subpar day at a Cooper Cup. So uh, give give Wade some credit. His team's on the move. He slides into the fifth slot. I fall from the fifth to sixth slot. So still clinging to a playoff position as we speak. Talked about some of the similarities between Club Garnet and Club Black. Talked about how we're seeing winning streaks on both sides and both divisions. And Nons is an example of that. He rattled off his sixth win in a row, taking down Cam Body, whose team name is Team Body. I've said what I've needed to say about if your team name is your last name. So I won't, I won't go into that any further. Uh, Cam doesn't have much firepower on his team, with the exception of Tyree Kill. I don't I think that his team's fallen on a little bit of tough times. He's starting Jordan Love at quarterback. I, you know, Jordan Love has had his struggles this year. So I, I can't really say that that uh, that bodes well for him. And he was failed to crack the 90 point mark here. So he only registered 89. Nance is Nance is picking up steam here, I think, for two main reasons. Uh, two players that I want to highlight on his squad. Definitely Travis Etienne is one of them. I talked about him in that Steelers Jaguars game, and he's a big reason why the Jaguars won, and he's a big reason why Nance has been winning a lot lately as well. The RB2, after only Christian McCaffrey, of course. So averaging nearly 20 points a game, he had 24 and a half in this one. Big reason for the nonchalant Johnson victory. And then the other guy I wanted to touch on on Nance's side is Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow looked like his old self, and when that happens, Jamar Chase is going to look like his old self. 22 points for Chase, two big hitters there. So Nons is seven and one and holds a strong position in second in Club Garnet. Now to once again, pardon my French, but team sucks ass, coached and managed by Robert Bordier, defending coach champ, as he battled our friend Lube Carlson in whose team name is Lube's Paradise. 118 to 107, the final here in this one. Bob does have A.J. Brown on his side, uh, who had 31 for him today. And Justin Herbert with a nice uh, kind of bounce back redemption game. If anybody remembers when we first started doing the podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, Rob lost a absolutely devastating game to E.J. when Justin Herbert threw an interception on the Chargers' final offensive play of that game on Monday night football. This was after Bob had just taken the lead by a point over EJ, the interception 
docked him two points and ultimately gave him the loss. That sunk him to one in five on the year. But since then, he's won two in a row and he's hanging around. He's actually the first team outside of a playoff picture right now, three and five. So he's in seventh. He has the point tiebreaker over the other three and five teams in Club Garnet that I will touch on in a second. All I got to say about Lube's team on the flip side is I really think he should start a quarterback not named Mac Jones, but he doesn't <laughs> listen to me and he can do whatever he wants. He only lost he only lost this game by 11. Mac had like 12. So, I mean, you get a quarterback in there that maybe has like a 25 point day. I know that's kind of asking a lot. It's the difference in the ball game. Hmm. I do not think this next team that I'm about to mention gets nearly enough love. I've talked about him in the league manager notes quite frequently as of late, but when we are, when we're talking about the top dogs of either club Garnet or club black, I feel like this team is consistently left out and it's team piss jug men coached and managed by Brendan Herfeld. Hmm. He has rattled off uh, four in a row. He's another one of the, the winning streak guys here on the club Garnet side and five of six. He's now five and three overall, and he climbs into third place. He played Lamb this week, whose team name is Wade, question mark. That's an inside joke that uh, maybe we can explain at a later time. I'd prefer not to, actually. <laughs> I guess I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll table that for another day. Sorry, Wade. I still feel bad, man. I love you. <laughs> now, I don't think – I know Lamb does not always set his lineup, but the, the lineup was set – this week mm. and he rattled off 127 points 37 coming from cd and another 30 on monday night football from jameer gibbs problem is brendan has jalen hurts and he started deandre hopkins baby 34.8 points and that's the difference in this ball game hell of a performance it's it's really satisfying like i talked about excuse me <laughs> Like I talked about on the club black side with with Zach when he had that big day, but he faced an opponent that didn't really do anything. It's super satisfying as a fantasy manager to see your team go off when they actually need to. Yeah. Uh, tall, you know, he 127 points out of out of Lamb squad here. So Hurd really needed just about all of that 141. He got timely performances from his squad. Big win for him to improve to five and three. So a lot of credit there. This is one where you really feel like after the Monday night game ends, you like really, really feel good uh, after a win like this. Cause you know, you needed everything from your team and they delivered. Congrats, Brendan. Now to a, a little bit of a matchup that didn't look too hot on paper, but it was a big win for our buddy, Chris. Uh, his team name is the drafting crooner. He, he gets a victory to snap a four game losing streak. Uh, he improves to three and five here, sits at ninth overall. Not a dazzling point total by any means. He does get a 104 to 84 win over Aaron's Himothy squad. Uh, with Chris right now, it's always just kind of been a struggle of getting his running backs fully healthy and getting them all back at once. He's got Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, and Austin Eckler on his team. That's definitely the strength of the squad. Eckler, of course, dealt with an ankle injury earlier. Uh, Brees Hall had somewhat limited touches to the first couple weeks. And then Jonathan Taylor obviously was on the pump list for the first four weeks. Well, they're all coming back now and starting to hit stride a little bit. They're not quite there yet, but this was a, a better day, an encouraging day going forward. And it's uh, packed standings in Club Garnet. So Chris isn't out of it yet. He's only a game out of a playoff spot. 
104 to 84, the victory, as I mentioned. For Aaron's team, it's just been a down year overall. He's two and six, sits second to last in the standings. Nobody really shined for him here. Dalton Kincaid did have a good day with 15, but that was actually his high score. So it's really tough to win a fantasy game when your uh, tight end, not named Travis Kelsey, is the high score. And when 15 is the most that one of your players puts up, it's a uh, it's a tall order from there. And now to the Club Garnet game that you and I last week marked the game of the week. It was Najee Harris, EJ's team, who was undefeated coming in and who will stay undefeated. And they went on the road to face the Natty Splats, coached and managed by Patrick Parnell. 129 to 108, the final on this one. EJ gets the victory, large part due to Gus Edwards' three touchdowns that we mentioned earlier in the podcast as well. He stays perfect, man. Parnell's still not quite at full strength, although he did get a nice day from Joe Mixon and a very good day from Josh Allen. But we know that he's still looking for Justin Jefferson to come back. He's got him stashed on IR right now. Just a waiting game there. Parnell's still got a really good point total. Sits at four and four in fourth place. But all the credit to EJ. He did break a league record. This is the longest that any team has been undefeated in league history. And this is the quickest that any team in league history has clinched a playoff berth. He has clinched a playoff berth eight weeks into the season. So credit to him. Yeah, hats off to EJ, man. Eight weeks in a row winning games is it's I did four, and it to me was like, whoa, I can't believe that I did that. That happened. It's nuts. But eight weeks, that's almost that's more than half the regular season. That's ridiculous. And part part of it's from good players, part of it's from good management. EJ has been kind of like screwed over in past years several times so i'm thinking it's just like a karmic thing possibly as well i'm hoping that does me some favors this year we'll see but um yeah man i I feel like club garnet the top teams in that division are really competitive and there's a lot of um each of the top three or four teams has a has a pretty good shot at taking that side of the league and and even for ej like the losses are going to come eventually you would think, right? You just got to hope for him. They don't pile up in bunches at the end of the year. So I'm interested to see what happens on that side. It's been cool to like keep posted with those or stay tuned with those teams and see how they've gone, gone week to week, see how they fared. Um, On club black side for me, it's kind of like you were saying the structure of both leagues feels sort of similar in some ways, like really condensed in the middle there's a team, maybe two at the back end, and then there's two to three at the very top that look like they have some great chances. So it's kind of like what I said earlier. I think the next couple of weeks are really going to – we could see a lot of change or we could see what's been happening continue to to stay true. I'm excited either way. I know I need to win. Everybody feels like they need to win at this point in the season, regardless of where you are in the standing. So pressure is on for everybody. Tensions are up. You can sort of feel it and like, the group chats and how guys interact with each other with trades. Like nobody wants to get on the bad side of a deal right now. I feel like a lot of people are actually afraid to make trades with the off chance that that happens. So I don't know. know. Have you you seen some of these league members? They're wheeling and dealing no matter what. Yeah. But this week was kind of slow. It felt like, so uh, maybe that's just because of how busy last week was with that side of things. Yeah. Could be, but who who knows? Uh, Best of luck to you this week. Commission. I'm going to need it. And hopefully you don't need it quite as much as me. Thanks, man. I, I play EJ this week, so I'm going to try to do it. Try to try to do it. His, his streak. Yeah. Yeah. Do you are right. Man. 
you you are i'm gonna try one of us has to get away man this has gone on <laughs> this has gone on just way too long you are right though i mean th- there's a lot of similar structure uh if you look uh ej and non sitting up atop the standings in in club garnet eight no and seven and one um heard uh brendan is right there at five and three might be a tall order for him to grab a buy, but he's pretty firmly cemented in that three spot. And then it's the same deal, man. It's uh, the remaining, the next seven teams, I think actually eight are, are within a game of each other. You got three, four and four teams, myself, Wade and Arnell and four and four holding the final three playoff spots. And then it's just an absolute, it's an absolute slog after that with uh, Cam, Bob, Chris, Lube. So Everybody, you know, everybody's still got something to play for. Everybody in both leagues has at least two wins, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that means that everybody's within at least two games of a playoff spot with five weeks to go. You know, everybody's mathematically in it and in theory controls their own destiny. So there's still a lot to play for for everybody. And uh, yeah, best of luck to everybody. Keep pushing forward. It's crunch time. Buys are in full swing. I've been saying that for weeks now. Injuries pile up. We talked about some of the quarterback injuries. So you got to make smart decisions going forward. These are the decisions that are going to win you a season right here. Absolutely. We'll have to see, uh, we'll have to see what results we can talk about next week. Um, For some other news and notes in sports real quick. uh, The world series finished up tonight. Uh, Texas Rangers, your world series champions for the first time in franchise history. Bruce Bochy adds another ring to his tally. He's got four of them now, I believe. Max Scherzer adds his second ring. Corey Seager adds his second ring. Uh, DeGrom gets his first, although I don't think that really counts. Um, Arizona had it was in game five until really like the ninth inning. And then at the top of the ninth, Texas had this weird situation happen where they had guys on first and second. There's a ground ball hit into center field. Alec Thomas misplays the grounder. It rolls all the way back to the wall in center field. And, and that was the game. All right, that was the series. That was it. Arizona season was done right there. So we kind of went into this series saying, I think we both said Rangers in six and ended up being Rangers in five. These guys deserve it. They they hit the ball all October. Just a really talented team all year. They played, uh, they outplayed the Astros in a series. Like that, that's who the World Series has run through the last handful of years. And then they beat this upstart Diamondbacks team who never said die and, and felt like, you know, a lot of people, I think, were hoping the Diamondbacks could find a way to come back. I saw a lot of stats being thrown around today about teams that have come back from 3-1 World Series deficits. But ultimately, this felt like the Rangers, to win from the start, ended up ended up that way. Um, any Anything else that you really loved from this World Series or, or that you wanted to touch on as far as that goes? Or, or do you just share similar thoughts on, on the Rangers? Yeah, pretty similar to what you said. I mean, I, I think this is something we'll probably go into a little bit more detail later in, or next week, potentially in the podcast. We can kind of break down the the course of action throughout these five games in the World Series. But I think it goes back to, at least for me on my end, kind of what I said last week on the podcast, where the path for the Diamondbacks to to win here was to get really good starting pitching from Zach Allen, who actually did pitch pretty well here, uh, looking at the box score in game five. He had a no-hitter going into the sixth, actually. He, he did, but a subpar performance from him in game one. Not a great performance from Brendan Fott in game three. Merrill Kelly was very good in game two. I just didn't think that the pitching was consistent enough in the beginning part of this series. Put him behind the eight ball and 
And ultimately, I think that, that that was the difference here. But credit to the to the Rangers. Yeah, Bruce Bochy is is Mr. October when it comes to managing. And uh, Corey Seager is going to win his second World Series MVP. So hats off to him. Yeah, he's he's making a case for the Hall of Fame right now with some of the numbers you've seen uh, with him in the postseason. I think he's uh, top 10 in postseason home runs. Uh, he's up there in some other categories as well. So um, may, and maybe this isn't the last you see of the Rangers. Who knows? Maybe Seager has a chance to, to add some more to his postseason legacy. I think he definitely will in the next couple of years. He's got a long, long enough contract there, so he'll have a share of opportunities as far as that goes. Um, on some more somber uh, side of things, uh, Bob Knight, legendary college basketball coach, passed away. That was today, I think you said, right? Yeah, he passed away at the age of 83 today. I saw it uh, this evening while I was at the gym. I uh, just wanted to, to touch on that and uh, mention him. Such a stalwart in the game of college basketball, uh, uh, sport in which I love watching. And uh, as that season comes around the corner, it's certainly something that we'll talk about. Um, and we'll talk about it even more as we come close to March. For, for those listeners of the podcast, this is not an exclusive football and baseball podcast. We are going to talk about hockey, basketball as those seasons get a little bit deeper. Uh, and more on a roll. College basketball is definitely something I look forward to talking to. But incredibly sad that Bob Knight passed away here at the age of 83. I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, legendary coach, one of the all-time greats, three-time national championship coach with Indiana, five Final Four appearances, one of the uh, – would be one of the heads on Mount Rushmore, I think, if you if you looked at head coaches in college basketball history. So sad moment there. Uh and condolences to his family and friends. Uh, condolences shared as well for, for Mr. Bob Knight's family. Um, my favorite part of who Bob Knight was as a person, that guy had to be the best non-baseball manager at getting ejected from games. Like like his tirades that he would go on whenever he would get tossed were electric. He would throw chairs onto the court, scream at the referees, break clipboards, like do all kinds of crazy stuff that – if that happened nowadays in the age of Twitter, it would go so viral. People would be all over it. It would be awesome. And uh, well, I mean, you, you said I, there, there are certainly some things that he did that uh, wouldn't fly in today's day and age. That's too. That's too. Yeah. Which I, I have to admit, um, I, I don't want to touch on some of the more negative things. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 chair throwing the chair across the court is is iconic. Uh, definitely one of the more demonstrative and animated coaches that we that we've seen throughout history so yeah it's just just incredibly crazy great career for him uh rest in peace bob knight uh, our last segment of the evening we've got our best bets uh things we're looking at uh line wise either uh, really across board for any sports could be futures could be something that comes up uh in the upcoming week uh paul you're you're kind of more well-versed in the realm of uh, sports gambling than I am. You probably have a much better history than I do as well, albeit mine is brief. Um, what are you looking at this week? What are some lines you, you, you've you got some interest in? I just got one that I want to throw out there. Uh, brief recap of last week. We went two and two on our best bets last week. Wisconsin was able to just barely hold on for a cover, had them plus 14 and a half. They lost by two touchdowns to Ohio State. Um, Arizona got a win over Oregon State late, late night for anybody who stayed up for that Pac-12 after dark matchup, a 27-24 victory. We had Arizona plus three and a half in that one. So those were our two victories. 
on the losing side of things, uh, really didn't look good. Utah got blown out of the water by Oregon, so that one didn't look good on us. Uh, and then we had Southern Cal minus the 10 and a half. They were able to come from behind and win that game late, 50 to 49, but obviously failed to cover in that one. So two and two, we'll take it, uh, but still looking for a winning record. Just going to talk up one bet for this week. Uh, and this is something that I've been doing for a few weeks now in the college football game. And it has been taking the under in Iowa Hawkeye football games. Mm-hmm. For anybody who doesn't know or who has not followed Iowa football this year, it is one of the most atrocious offensive demonstrations you will ever see. They have a phenomenal defense as well. They are going to slug games out and they are playing Northwestern on the road this week. I want you to take the under in that game under 30 and a half points. Yes, it's an extremely low total, but I hit this total exact same total 30 and a half in their game against Minnesota two weeks ago. I was on by last week, so that was why it was not part of best bets. Hammer the under. I guarantee there's not going to be a touchdown scored until like the third quarter in this game. I'm seeing something like uh, like a 12-10 or a uh, like a 10-9, 10-6 type game. Iowa Northwestern under 30 and a half. What you got, Patrick? Yeah, so I'm actually going to switch lanes a little bit. I'm going to basketball. Uh, the Boston Celtics regular season wins total on FanDuel Sportsbook and most other sites is still at over 55 and a half wins. I don't know why they haven't changed it because the Celtics have come out to start the year absolutely blitzing teams. I'm a Celtics fan, to be fair, so I don't want to like give them too much credit. They beat the, the Pacers tonight 155 to 104. They could have beaten the Wizards by 40 the other night if they wanted to. They got a game coming up on the road against the Nets soon. Um, They're 4-0 to start the year. A big thing with regular season wins in the NBA is just how many games the star players play. The Celtics aren't really a team that, like, rests their big players a lot. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they're going to play games. They're probably going to get to 55 wins. They'll probably get more than that. If they get anywhere in that, like, 62-and-up ballpark – then I would probably start looking at Jason Tatum MVP odds too. I'm not crazy. Like he's third right now behind Luca and uh, I think Jokic still. And Jokic really should win it. He should have won it last year. The only reason why he didn't, well, I'm not going to get into it. But anyways, Boston Celtics over 55 and a half wins. You can still bet it. Do it. You won't regret it. They're going to get at least 55 this year. Hopefully plenty more. Um after the regular season ends as well. Football-wise, it was tough for me to pick a line this week. There's a lot of, like, it's really back-and-forth games. Um, if I had to pick one game that I would probably look at, um, I would consider, um, I don't know, I, Dolphins-Chiefs over would be fun to bet if you just want to have something exciting to root for if you're looking for offense. But those Europe games are historically weird as far as that goes. Um Stick with my Celtics bet for now. Stick with Paul's bet. Don't overreach. I'm not going to pick a bad line for you that I don't trust myself. So we'll leave it at that. Um, Paul, this has been a fun one. This has been a late one. Hopefully the rest of these aren't, aren't too late. It's it's 1.02 a.m. right now. So if y'all are listening to this on the flip side in the morning, afternoon, whatever, thanks for tuning in. Paul and I are working really hard to, to try to make this a regular thing for, for, uh, for the listeners and the viewers. And we got a lot more content coming out of the way. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram now at fifth and long pod on Instagram. Um, yeah, man, I, 
I'm glad we're we're keeping this up. Let's let's do it again next week. And hopefully next week we've got a couple of fantasy football wins to talk about. I hope so, man. It's been too long. But yeah, it's been a pleasure, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Follow us on Instagram, as you said. Uh really excited to continue to talk sports and, and get into some of the sports we haven't talked to, like hockey and, and NBA, as I alluded to. So oh yeah, plenty of NBA and hockey stuff coming up, especially with uh baseball season coming to a close. And as we continue to do these, we'll we'll find more ways to slide in topics that we really want to want to cover as well. Folks, thanks for tuning in the fifth and long pod. Best of luck this week in your fantasy leagues and otherwise, and have a wonderful NFL weekend.